VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Nope. No Patty this morning. Good morning, everybody. It's Tim Powers sitting in for Patty. Patty's taking a, a day off, a well-deserved one, to enjoy the Thanksgiving weekend. And hopefully we'll all get to enjoy this Thanksgiving weekend, perhaps the closest one to normal uh, since the beginning of the pandemic as we go into the latter or end stages of the pandemic. Uh, Thanksgiving is back, I can tell you, here in Ontario, where I am this morning. It is a big deal indeed. The, the kids have a piece. PA day. Um, we used to call them uh, Teacher's Day Off. They're, uh, they're off. My son is off. Had him here this morning. So people jumping into Thanksgiving. Fall colors are beautiful as we return to somewhat of a normal. So much to talk about today. I, I got to start with hockey. Let's start with the good of hockey. What a, a great show Gander put on. I have been reading deliberately this morning. I wanted to read the Ottawa News coverage of the game last night in Gander. Of course, Twillingate won Craft Hockeyville during the pandemic. Um, they weren't able to host it. Gander hosted it for them. Mayor Farwell, he was on radio here in Ottawa yesterday, CFRA, the CTV affiliate. I happened to do some work with them. He was awesome, talking about the importance of the game, the cooperation between Twillingate and Gander. Gander, and also talked about you know Gander's importance, the region's importance, reminded us of 9-11, not that that was necessary, but told a very compelling story about his involvement, because I didn't realize he was the deputy mayor at the time. Anyway, all that to say, the Ottawa coverage of the game, uh, because of course they won 4-3, to three, and Ottawa's just had the best of Montreal over the last little while. Montreal is struggling, as uh, you Canadians fans know. Sorry, Habsuck! And Ben Murphy, if you're listening, so do the Leafs. Now that I've got that out of my system, the Ottawa coverage of the game was excellent. They talked about uh, how much the players enjoyed the the great receiving line they uh, they got yesterday morning when they were going in for practice. And Thomas Shabbat, one of the alternative captains, rising star in the NHL, said, uh, you know, really, really reminded him of, of how important hockey is across the country and reminded him of his time as a, as a kid. Uh, lots of the other players who wouldn't necessarily be signing autographs here in Ottawa because they aren't, you know, Claude Giroux or Drake Batherson or Josh Norris. Josh Norris and Drake Batherson, of course, with strong Newfoundland and Labrador connections, as is Parker Kelly. I don't know if Parker was in the lineup last night. Um, all, uh, all, all there added to the the allure of the game. As I said, the Sens won four to three. DJ Smith, the Sens coach, of course, many Newfoundland hockey fans and others will know he played for the St. John's Maple Leafs. He just loves Newfoundland and Labrador. He was raving about the experience and the most moving comment I saw may have come from uh, Martin St. Louis, of course, Canadians coach, Hockey Hall of Famer, uh, and uh, and uh, not long ago, a Pee Wee coach. And he talked about the importance of Gander uh, in 9-11 and what a great example they were to the country. He also talked about playing in the, in the steel arena there and how it reminded him of all that mattered in hockey with the smaller dressing rooms, you know, the sense of community, the we're all in this together, putting the game first uh, and respecting people. I thought that was excellent and a nice segue to where I want to go next. You have to have been under a rock 
and under our entire rock of the island of Newfoundland and maybe uh, in the in the bush in Labrador if you've not followed the recent developments in the Hockey Canada story. We'll get to our question of a day in a moment, but you will know this week that the interim board chair of Hockey Canada, Andrea Skinner, and the former board chair, um, Michael Brindamore, appeared before the, uh, the House of Commons committee that's looking into what has been going on at Hockey Canada and what hasn't been going on at Hockey Canada in terms of addressing the sexual harassment allegations, uh, the variety of them that have come to the fore, been well reported. Miss um, Skinner, uh, just full disclosure, she is a colleague of a very good friend of mine. Uh, I reached out to her because I have been, as some of you know, a former chair of a national sports organization and wished her luck. We had a nice email exchange. By all reports, Miss Skinner is capable, smart, able, long history in hockey, been on the board. Um, so any comments I'm about to make are not about diminishing Andrea Skinner or any volunteer. It's about Hockey Canada as an organization. The comments made by Hockey Canada, Ms. Skinner and Mr. Brindamore, at the hearing this week have set off a firestorm. In large measure, Hockey Canada appeared to be exceedingly tone deaf, totally out of touch with the problems that they are experiencing, talking about how this was a societal problem, sexual violence, misogyny, all, all of those things, awful things that, are, that are, are in our society. But it was a total move of deflection. She talked about how the media coverage had been unfair. She talked about how people were misunderstanding the funds that they had or misreporting the fun description of the funds that they have. And as you know, the Globe and Mail, others have reported that Hockey Canada has had two funds, uh, one that has been used, one that Hockey Canada says hasn't been used to pay for um, settlements in, in various sexual violence, sexual harassment cases. Uh, some of those funds we have learned, have been put together with money that our kids pay for when they register for hockey. And that's rightly got people angry, angry, angry. The one thing I think that really got me at Miss Skinner's appearance in the House of Commons was her comment that, well, and I'm paraphrasing here, and again, I commend Ms. Skinner and everybody for volunteering. Been in that role, been called to, upon to resign myself, not for anything like this, but for team performance. Nonetheless, I understand the pressure. I understand these people probably and certainly, in my view, have the best of intentions. But she said something she never should have said. She said, well, if Hockey Canada folds, the lights might go off in the arena. For me, that was a mic drop. That was the epitome of... Cognitive dissonances, disconnection, lack of understanding that Hockey Canada has about how serious this scandal is uh, and this matter is and how inflamed their reputation is. In fact, it is if Rome could be exchanged with Hockey Canada, they would discover they are burning, burning to the ground. Miss Skinner made that comment about the lights going off. And you know, at that very moment, or th that day, I'm now a hockey dad. My son's in hockey. My son, Patrick, you hear me talk about him a lot. He loves it. He and all his friends. I'm a coach, for gosh sake. Not a great one, but, you know, like other parents, just put on the light, the, the skates and, and helping out with the coaching. It's a blast being on the ice with these kids, seeing them skate around, seeing them have so much fun. Just loving it. And to be fair, Hockey Canada does a great job at the grassroots level. From all the programs you're required to take, to become a coach, to 
the drill hub and all the other things they do there. They do well. They do well. They do. They do well. Too bad they didn't take that to a higher level. Anyway, so Miss Skinner is saying this. And me and three other hockey dads are planning practices and games for that night. I'm like, Miss Skinner, you don't know your audience. You don't know your audience if you say that. And that's an arrogance, an arrogance that is not helping you now. People want to know that you get how bad this is, how heinous it is. And they still don't. So this brings us to Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador. Now, you will know that our question of the day is... Uh, along, the, uh, let me read it out specifically for you. It is this: Should Hockey Newfoundland follow other provincial associations in withdrawing its support of Hockey Canada? Right now, again, unscientific, uh, but the results show 76 percent, 76 percent of people who've responded to this poll have said yes, they should. Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador. Have, have themselves, to the best of my knowledge, and I'll say that again, to the best of my knowledge, and some of you will joke that's not much, uh, you may be right, have done nothing wrong themselves, as far as I know. I, they, they try to do their best, as everybody else does, to run hockey in, in, our, in our province of Newfoundland and Labrador. But, but, they have been very absent from this debate. And there are probably good reasons for that, but they should explain them to us. You heard Brian perhaps earlier say he's tried to reach out to Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador to get comments. I have previously. We are again today. Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador, if you're listening, we'll fit you in today. We need to know where you stand. Parents in the province need to know where you stand. Now, what you have said so far that I have gleaned through some public commentary that you made, so you haven't had your head down entirely, is that you have brought in new sexual violence and prevention, sexual violence awareness prevention programs. That's fantastic. That's important. Great. Tell us more about those. Um, according to a CBC National News report that I have seen, you have told CBC National News, or they have inferred, that you are going to wait until Justice Cromwell, who is the justice hired by Hockey Canada to examine the 2018 incident, uh, alleged incident, well, it's not alleged incident, the 2018 incident, what happened in 2003 in Halifax, and other matters, governance and otherwise, related to sexual assault, sexual violence, culture in Hockey Canada and how Hockey Canada has had it. Is that, in fact, your position? Can somebody not come on and say that? Maybe you said that to CBC. VOCM would like to know. So while you're determining what you're going to do, and, and again, that is your right, but your brand is at stake a little bit here. I'm not asking you to run out and say something that is politically opportune. But I think it's important you signal beyond the program that you've announced how you truly feel about all of this. From the Globe and Mail, let me read these two paragraphs this morning. Hockey Canada is also facing growing pressure from provincial hockey associations. On Thursday, Hockey Manitoba asked the organization's leadership and board of directors, that being Hockey Canada, to step down after emergency meeting it held the previous night. 
Hockey Manitoba is the first provincial hockey body to call for changes at the top of the organization. That followed a decision by Hockey Quebec to immediately withhold player registration fees from Hockey Canada, while the Ontario Hockey Federation began laying the groundwork for a similar move. Final sentence. At an emergency board meeting on Thursday, Hockey Nova Scotia also voted to withhold a portion of its fees it usually sends to Hockey Canada for the 2022-23 season. This, of course, on top of the mass exodus of sponsors from Hockey Canada. Telus, Tim Hortons, Jane's Foods, Bank of Nova Scotia. They're all going. They're all saying... The problems are significant. Hockey Canada, fairly or unfairly, doesn't get it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I have great respect for Scott Smith. I know him, the president of Hockey Canada. I know Tom Rennie did some work with both of them in regards to national sport organizations, collective action around fundraising. I found them to be good people. I found them to be wise people. But sometimes, and Tom Rennie, of course, is retired now, even good people have to step aside for change, have to step aside to solve a problem if they are perceived to be the problem and the problem can't get solved or the trust rebuilt unless they go. Anyway, long rant about hockey. It's got me worked up. As I say, I see this from a lot of angles. I've headed an NSO. I'm a hockey dad. I'm a coach. I've seen the good of Hockey Canada and the way they help minors, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, as we head into this Thanksgiving and if the, the leadership of Hockey Canada continues to take the posture that they have as the sport minister said they're burning down their own house as the prime minister said yesterday maybe we structure a new thing called canada hockey and hockey newfoundland and labrador i'm sorry but you got to tell us more and we will take your call today deep breath all right Obviously, there are other immediate issues that are important to Newfoundland and Labrador. Cost of living, gas up today, 9.3 cents, I think it is. You heard uh, the question period debate yesterday from the House of, Com- House of Commons, excuse me, the House of Assembly on the state of, uh, of, um, of health care in Newfoundland and Labrador and the debate back and forth on whether the province is doing enough to bring in new doctors and credit credential them more quickly. Provinces brought in one piece of legislation. Their first piece, they say, is going to address this. We can talk about that. We can talk about the payments that are going out. Um, Some people in the field of social services and social work, while they say not bad, say they're not good enough and they don't really address the problem. Um, I know they've they've been a source of hot debate. And of course, and we're going to talk to uh, people from Bridges of Hope and other organizations about the challenges they're having this Thanksgiving, the service provisions, the requirements that are being asked of them, all because of the state of the economy. Going to talk about all of that. We can talk about the high-flying Nalcor expense accounts. Uh, Again, hand up here. Worked for Nalcor uh, as a contractor. Never had an expense account. Worked for them a very long time ago. Some of this stuff is, is new to me. Totally see why it's an irritant. Can do that. And, by the way, Alberta. If you didn't know it, got a new premier last night. Things are going to get interesting in the Federation. Daniel Smith, former radio host, uh, former television host, uh, former leader of the Wild Rose Party, who was disgraced in Alberta after she brought her party together with the PCs. She is the new leader of the Alberta United.
United Conservative Party. Jason Kenney is no more. You know what she wants to do? Establish something called the Alberta Sovereignty Act, meaning that Alberta can step back from certain pieces of federal legislation that it deems to be not in Alberta's interest. So much to talk about today. So much to be thankful for. No state funeral. Last time I was on, there was a state funeral and rightly honoring the Queen, so people were otherwise occupied. Want to hear from you on this and anything else today on Open Line. I'm Tim Powers, back with you shortly. Welcome back to Open Line again. Uh, Tim Powers in for Patty, having a day off. Well-deserved. You've still worked up over the the Hockey Canada rant. I've already got a couple of messages about it. Apparently a lot of people feel the same way. Well, another thing people are ranting about, and it's much more immediate to everybody, is the state of the economy. And if you are a person who is struggling, it's even more acute and one of the organizations that's feeling that acute nature, the need, and, and helps people on a frontline basis is Bridges to Hope, of course. And we've got Jody Williams from Bridges Bridges to Hope on the line, and Jody's got a, a program he's going to tell us about. Uh, Jody, before we get into the initiative you're, you're, we're going to talk about this morning, I mean, I was reading this morning, is this the busiest you've ever been in your 32 years? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as far as... Um yeah, definitely. The numbers are the numbers are actually busier, but the uh, the demographics of people we're serving and stuff is starting to really broaden. Um, you know, we are having to actually starting next Wednesday. We're opening for the evenings in the first time uh, every Wednesday to just meet the new demand because we have now our newest clientele, our working class people who work during the day. They can't get to the food bank, but they need food. So um, we're just adjusting to that kind of. So it's a pretty dire situation. I mean, every day we're seeing big lineups. Uh, it just seems to be like, um, you know, the demand is always bigger than the supply. <laughs> it seems. Yeah, it's yeah, I, and it's if I hear I was listening yesterday here in, in Ottawa and uh, the Ottawa Food Bank, apparently same circumstance, you know, busiest mm-hmm. it's ever been. Is that what you're hearing from your peers across the country that, you know, this isn't just an anomaly in Newfoundland or Ontario? This is what? people across the country who help people like you do are feeling yeah absolutely i mean uh i you know i think we're just really seeing the ripple effects of COVID right now um you know we're all experiencing food insecurity uh in a way and that you know we're probably still going to the grocery store but i uh, i'm sure everyone is skipping things they normally eat i was at the grocery mm-hmm. store uh myself there last week and i mean everyone was just kind of looking at the turkeys and then moving yeah. on because nobody was, no one was willing to pay the price. So there will be like even you take this weekend for instance, there's probably gonna be a lot of people that aren't going to have turkey for the first time. You know, just and and, and as you say, money. what will their what were their what will be their lesser value alternative that is probably not as healthy? And I mean, turkey's pretty healthy even when you smother it with gravy and dressing. Yeah, no, know. absolutely, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's been, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's a bit overwhelming, uh, our next, and then we're kind of into this, uh, and then we got the price of, uh, of course, furnace oil now adding so, to okay. that perfect storm of everything else. So, 
you know, what I am seeing in the lineup now is more single seniors uh, mm-hmm. who are on living income. As soon as the heat comes on in October, um, you know, we start seeing more people just based on that fact alone. And I think this year we'll see even more than ever because of that reason. Let me ask you uh, two specific policy questions, yeah. then we'll talk about um, the, uh, the the how we can help donate. First one is mm-hmm. the one-time payment uh, that the province <laughs> just announced this week. I mean, yeah. give me your take on it. All right. Uh, honestly, I think it's a well. I just think it's a political move. I don't. I don't see it being anything other than that. Uh, be honest with you. You know, a lot of our clients, for instance, uh, due to mental health reasons, due to uh, all kinds of reasons, uh, they didn't do their taxes last year. Yeah. For instance, uh, they don't have bank accounts. Some of them. Uh, I mean, you know, it's just kind of. It's certainly not going to help. I don't think the people that need it the most is going to help uh, some people and then a whole bunch of people that maybe probably didn't really need the 500 bucks are going to get it. So, it's a, you know, to me, it's just a political move. Okay. Sugar tax. Uh, you have the PCs calling <laughs> for the end, the end of it. Uh, and look, I, I've worked both sides of this. Uh, I, I, I think there's a, an overwhelming body of research that says we should have less sugar in our diets plain and simple Uh, however that isn't always an option for people so where are you on what the government ought to consider with the sugar tax so it looks like the premier intends to hold the line Uh, honestly i just again all these things you know um they're a bit privileged um i mean you know without getting morally judgmental on who uh, drinks sugar uh you know it is kind of you know the more educated people are the less likely they are to kind of yep. more likely to eat healthier um and then this is the thing though right you're going to have a sugar tax because we're dying for money and we're in dire straits but then you turn around and give 500 dollars to everyone I mean, it's just it's ludicrous all right. Speaking of money, how can we help you this weekend? Uh, you got, tell we us. Got a tell few us. Ways. Yeah, sure. Tomorrow, uh, between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., uh, the First United Church are having a drive-through food drive on our behalf. So even if it's raining, you can head out there and just kind of drop off some food. That's at Mount Pearl and Park Avenue. Also, our. Um, Starting yesterday, I announced a new uh, campaign to help uh, deal with the dire circumstances we're in. Uh, it's kind of an easy way for people to help mm-hmm. us out, and it's very accessible And that, you know, anyone, it's not a lot of money. We're doing a text to donate for the first time. So you can text food, that's F-O-O-D, to 45678 to donate. That's food, 45678 to donate. And it uh, just gets added to your, website, or sorry, to your uh, phone bill. You don't need any credit card or anything. And also, you can go to our website, and there we have different ways you can help us also. They're not all financial. Uh, For instance, you can drop off uh, recyclables and uh, get those donated to us. And there's different ways you can help out if you head over to our website uh, at bridgestohope.ca. I will head to the website later because if I try texting, Lord knows I'll probably get some Nigerian scam. But uh, <laughs> listen, I appreciate what you do. Uh, it's it's really hard work right now. Thank you for making the time, and yeah, we'll man. give this a plug during the day. Yeah, thank you, Jody. Thank you very much. I appreciate having me on. You said anytime, any, any awareness is always good, so I really appreciate it. All right. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Have a good day. Okay, you too. That's Jody Williams from Bridges to Hope. Now, a regular. Haven't talked to him in a while. He must have some interesting insights, particularly after Hurricane Fiona. But he wants to talk about Beta Spear. Bruno, how are you? Just 
uh, fine. Uh, how are you doing today? I am good. Just before you get to Beta Spear, uh, one of the things that was fascinating for me listening to the broader debate about uh, climate incidences and the terrible things that happened in in Puerto Basque and Atlantic Canada, down your way in Cape Breton, too, there was a lot of damage. Um, one of the debates that's now emerged is should we spend, which you've been arguing for years, I will give you credit with that, should we be spending money now on climate change mitigation or later because we invariably pay for it one way or another? Has the recent storm changed the debate or the consciousness about this or will it fade into our memories? Well, that's interesting uh, that you raise that point because that's one of the uh, points that I wanted to raise. So I guess instead of talking about it last, I'll touch on it first. Okay. Uh, the national Canada's National Observer has an interesting story uh, about uh, the development of Bay de Nord and uh, Newfoundland's plan to, over the next 10 years to double oil and gas production. Now, you mentioned that uh, you uh, and Port of Bass took it on the nose, and we're here in Cape Breton. Mm -hmm. If anything, took it even worse than Port of Bass. We had a Category 2 hurricane hit us square in the nose, and uh, the water temperature is reaching uh, 68, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, is staggering for those of us that have been around long enough to be just amazed at those warm temperatures in our waters and what they do to accelerate hurricanes. So uh, has anyone learned the lesson, or are we still full speed ahead on oil at all costs? Don't you see the hypocrisy? A couple of things there. Yes, there's obvious hypocrisy at all levels of, of government around all of this. I mean, I don't it's not just Hurricane Fiona, as you know, too. I mean, I think if you look over the last two years, every part of Canada has been whacked with something. The last two years in a, in a row, British Columbia, of course, has had ridiculous heat waves. Calgary's had massive flooding here in Ontario and Quebec. We've had all of that, too. Um, I, I get, as you know, I'm a little bit I'm more inclined to see that there is still going to be a need for energy transition and a need for oil. But you're still of the view you got to have a hard stop or we're in real trouble. Is that fair to characterize it that way? Well, absolutely. Uh, we need a hard stop. Uh, come on now. Uh, how could you be talking about uh, ex exploring for oil and gas and doubling the output after what we've seen now? Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, but I'll move on. Dennis Brown. Yep. you got about uh, two minutes, Bruno. Bruno. Two minutes. Go ahead. Dennis Brown has finally come alive. And uh, 10 years late is beginning to talk about the problems uh, that uh, with your energy delivery system. And I wonder where the hell is, was Dennis Brown when Muskrat Falls debate and construction was ongoing and all of the problems. He was absolutely silent. Uh, which was that is, right, though? I thought he was fairly involved with Dave Vardy and some of those guys at the time in, 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 in discussing this. I mean, I know he was the ombudsperson, but... I don't know if he was silent, but anyway, go ahead. He wasn't very strong. Uh, he wasn't very strong at all. Uh, okay. So let's get on to Muskrat Falls. Uh, you know, they, uh, they're they admitting that the cost is uh, more than $13 billion. 
I believe the cost is closer to $16 billion, and I've been saying that for more than a decade now. Uh, It continues to be way behind schedule, and they continue to have problems with the software and uh, with all kinds of uh, things there, with the uh, wires falling off the the towers, etc. Now Ms. Williams says that hydro can be trusted to undertake undertake another project, that lessons have been learned, and that there'll be full transparency and accountability this time. What? What is she talking about? We haven't had transparency on Muskrat Falls, have we? Uh, Well, not based on all the Judicial Commission, uh, the New Brunswick Judges Commission report and and others. There's certainly been, (laughs) to understate it, a challenge on transparency. Uh, So, yeah, you're right to be skeptical. All right. 30 seconds, Bruno, because I've got to go to to a break. How would you like to start? All right. Uh, It's ridiculous that they're claiming that things are going to be different this time. We haven't seen the books for Muskrat Falls. We have no idea how much it costs. You're being screwed once again. And instead of building another mega project that they have no capacity uh, to build, no need for it, actually, uh, why on earth don't you start using those wind resources for the benefit of Newfoundland and Labrador? Why don't you start building, if indeed you do need additional power, Build them incrementally, four megawatts at a time, costing you between five and ten million dollars at a time, okay. plugged into your network, without well, they, having they... to blow five hundred and fifty billion dollars again on okay. people that have no transparency. I guess they need more money and more power to send right. energy to go away. Is it? <laughs> Taking a shot at Danny there. You know, it's it's the uh, Galway is long since done. It's a new development that's he's going off, on up awfully, there. He's awfully quiet now, isn't he? Well, I, I think Premier, former Premier Williams, can well defend himself. And if he would like to speak, he always has a place here to do that. Anyway, gotta leave it, Bruno. Uh, good to talk to you. He Have has a good a thing. Place, but he won't. He's a chicken shit. Uh, now, don't be swearing on the air. And uh, I uh, listen. He, well, I, I you know, we've Bruno, had Bruno, 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 Bruno. We gotta go. And uh, come on, he uh, has dial. sued me. Goodbye, Bruno. Goodbye, Bruno. Cut him off, Dave. Thank you, thank you. See, you try to have a civilized conversation with Bruno, and you can. But then he goes and this I don't want it getting into him and Danny and all of that. I know Premier Williams, former Premier Williams. He's well able to speak to, for himself and offer his positions. And he has. He's appeared at the hearings. Now, oh, take a deep breath. Uh, time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. And no swearing. It's the Thanksgiving edition. Back with Mayor Falwell from uh, Gander after this. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back. I was just getting a funny note about uh, my exchange with uh, with Bruno. I Listen, I, I, I like Bruno. He just unwinds sometimes. And he's passionate about what he cares about. But we can't have bad language on this program. Now, I know from hearing this man yesterday, when I was driving around Ottawa, you were leading the news, Mayor Farwell, here in Ottawa about the game there tonight. Great to have you on, Percy Farwell, Mayor of Gander. How are you? Great, thanks. And uh, must have been a slow news day in Ottawa. 
<laughs> well, you, you got some friends there because, as you heard, you were talking for the others who didn't hear it. You were being interviewed by Patricia Bull, who's a colleague here at CFRACTV Ottawa, and Patricia's daughter, as she mentioned to you, went to school at Memorial. She didn't tell you. Her husband also is the Sens color commentator. So, oh, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was probably getting some good inside inside scoop there. And uh, don't forget, there's that Newfoundland connection, right, with the Senators, Josh Norris, his dad and uncle uh, from Newfoundland and Labrador, big hockey players, uh, Drake Batherson, family in Port of Basque, uh, Parker Kelly's got some family. So there's a lot of Newfoundland connection there. And, you know, Absolutely. it wasn't that. I mean, I actually, uh, Josh Norris, I, I did a math course at Munn from Josh Norris's grandfather. Oh, did you really? <laughs> a lot of connections there, yeah. Uh, I, I see. Well, it's a Newfoundland story, right? We could just yeah. spend an hour finding the half a degree of separation. So <laughs> tell us about last night, how it went, and what it meant to the, the town recognizing, as you did yesterday, crediting that, you know, Twillingate obviously won this, but you helped them host it. How did it all go? How are you feeling today? It was it was a wonderful uh, event last night. I was, had, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend it uh, at the, uh, through the generosity of uh, Mayor Blackler and Twillingate. And, and you know, we're, we're just delighted to have been able to play a part in that and, and, and support it, uh, recognizing, of course, that it was, you know, all the last couple of days were Twillingate's days, and, and we, want, we don't want to lose the focus on that. But, uh, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of kind of poetic because it's, you know, rural Newfoundland is, is mm-hmm. very much a, a regional economy and so on, right? And, and you know, uh, the, the fact that we were able to participate in that way and provide some support to making the, the full event take place in this region is sort of typical of the way things work, you know, when you have a service center and beautiful communities like Twillingate that are, that have, you know, that have attributes that we don't have and, and we depend on greatly as well. So, we we're just delighted to do it and uh, and to be a part of it. The event itself was uh, was wonderful. There was a really good vibe there yeah. all day yesterday. Actually, you know, from the the red carpet when the players were arriving yesterday and the busloads of school kids that came in from the Twillingate area to be to line the ropes and get the autographs and so on. I spoke to a number of the players and and officials and so on, and they were all all delighted with the experience. And uh, we were happy, you know, and from a from an operational point of view, we were happy that our facility was uh, more than up to snuff. You know, we got great compliments from the NHL folks and so on around the facility and, and the adaptability of it to NHL caliber play, and we're we're happy with that as well. But well, uh, li- listen, time. Mayor, anything that bears uh, the the late great Harry Steele's name has to be up to snuff. So he would have been proud too if he were able to see it because he was such a, a promoter and uh, and uh, and leader uh, in the Gander community. It, it was great. Um, I, I said earlier. I was reading the Ottawa Press this morning because I didn't find the score on our Newfoundland website, and I was looking for it uh, and going through a lot of the, the Ottawa Press. It was glowing. Uh, you'll be happy to know about the reception that the players received, the team received. Um, I thought the two coaches were fantastic. DJ Smith from Ottawa, who, of course, used to play for the Maple Leafs and is a big fan of Newfoundland and Labrador. And Martin San Louis, much like you when you were interviewed by Patricia yesterday, spoke about you know the significance, Gander, has played and played in 9-11, but just has played internationally and what a thrill it was for him to be there and also in the vibe of of, of a smaller arena and the like. And it was just so refreshing to see that recognition. I mean, we we all get our big Newfoundland hearts puffed up when someone from away says something good about us, but it it, it was was awesome to see. What's next for Gander and Twillingay? What's the second act here, Mayor? (laughs) 
who knows? We we uh, we tend to have to uh, deal with some things on the fly. <laughs> we've uh, we've had you know we we had some uh, fair advance warning that we were going to be hosting this game, obviously, because uh, you know the folks at the NHL and so on. I did yep. you know a long time ago that uh, they're going to have to find a venue, and and we've worked with them, uh, and most people wouldn't realize how much work goes into you know as 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 good a facility as we have there, how much work goes into all the tweaks that you know that will bring it to the absolutely to the uh, the NHL standard and so on and and you know they came in with uh, between the NHL and and the craft and uh, the NLPA NHLPA and and uh, and the, all these sorts of people they they and the media that, that showed up and so on there was armies of people there and our people were just uh, you know doing what they could to accommodate everything and as usual I mean I'll put in a plug for our staff as usual they mm-hmm. they, they did that in in spades interesting you know uh, some people aren't aware probably that the, you know you're talking about the appeal of people coming here uh, Gary Batman was here last night most oh was Gary and he did he got out of town alive there <laughs> <laughs> well I didn't, as far as you know <laughs> they didn't they didn't announce his presence but uh, but I did get to uh, did get to meet him and uh, and he did indicate to me that uh, you know it's his first time ever in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador right so uh, so, you know, he thought worthy of uh, making a visit himself up from New York. So. He, pr- he probably felt safe. He probably felt safe, although we have some pretty rabid fans, as you well described. Though you were, So I never got this yesterday. Before I let you go, I have two last questions. How in the hell did you become a Buffalo Sabres fan? Was it like Gilbert Perron, or what was it? It, it, it was absolutely Gilbert Perron. I was an impressionable 10-year-old when they entered the league, and uh, they were an exciting young team when they came in, and uh, Perron was the big, the big deal. Rick Martin, all those guys, yeah. But it's interesting you asked me that question. I met Paul Coffey a few years ago, and uh, in, in the course of conversation, I told him that I had been a lifelong uh, Buffalo Sabres fan, and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, why? <laughs> <laughs> so I had the same two-word answer, Gilbert Perrault, and then he understood. <laughs> all right, the last question I have for you, because it was an epic fail on my part, because I have, uh, I was in Gander this summer, but briefly. I was asked, because I've got a, uh, a neighbor who uh, is involved with the Senators um, and some others that were on the trip. They said, what do you do in Gander for fun? And I said, the Flyers Club. Still there or gone or what? No, no. Uh, sadly, that's a, that's a part of our history that is gone. There's a a lovely new retail uh, <laughs> spot there now, and uh, the Flyers Club is is no more, unfortunately. Oh, but my there God. Are, you know, dating there are myself. Other places uh, picking up the spot. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the uh, some of the players uh, that were here the night before last, because they only spent one night here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole group was only here 36 hours. Um, but, uh, yeah, a few of those were out, and, uh, quite a few of those were out and about in a few of the local establishments and uh, enjoying meals and enjoying beverages. And Well, they're young men. They're young men. They have to, uh, and they're wealthy young men, so good that they're spending, uh, <laughs> spending money. Hopefully the tipping was good. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the tipping was good. All right, I'll leave it there. You were a great spokesman of the province uh, here yesterday. Day and well done, Gander, Twillingate, that whole region. Uh, take a bow. Thank you, Mayor Farwell. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, Eugene, you're next, but we're going to take a break first here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with you, Eugene Nippert after that. Back to Open Line. Eugene, Eugene Nippert, are you there? How are you, my friend? Tim, Tim Powers. Yes, I'm there. What's <laughs> going on? Are we, We're talking about moose today, are we? The moose collisions? What's going on with that? Yes, first of all, thank you to you and David and VOCM for letting me get on and voice my concern for the common man. Tim, uh, you probably know that I started that group, SOPAC, back in yeah. 2009 after my yeah. terrible moose accident. Mm-hmm. 
and came at the time honored minister Tom Ederson. God bless his heart. Yeah, good man, Ederson. Tom Ederson. Yeah, agree with the you. The best, sir. One of the best. We got a program put in place to get uh, to help to take care of the loose vehicle accident problem. And uh, one of the things was fence the highway were absolutely necessary. Not every inch of the highway because we don't have the money for that. Even when we were in our province, we didn't have the money for that. So uh, we got the 16 kilometers on the west coast over by Stephen Bell uh, intersection that area, and uh, and it's it's proved really well. I've got videos from the RCMP in that area that another loose accident prevented, loose inside the fence, Good. not outside. Good. So then we got a brush cutting program put in place, and we because back then the brush was only cut where there was new construction, and now it's been cut a lot more places. But Tim, I tell you, since we changed governments, right? And I'm not on, not here to crap on everybody, but since we changed governments, we've been falling by the wayside. We haven't got one inch of fencing. We got brush cutting, yes, but Tim, there's still a lot of brush that hasn't been cut. What we would like to see in place, and, and, and like the group SOPAC, you know, we have done our best, but, you know, lately we have been pretty quiet, and and uh, people are asking me, where is SOPAC, and are, is there still a SOPAC, and all that stuff. And, and yes, there is still a SOPAC, uh, probably not as active as it should be, but, uh, you know, maybe uh, I'm going to have to pick up the slack, and we're going to have to get that more active, because we got to get... Tim, we have had three fatalities this summer. Yeah. And hundreds just of on that, so, Eugene, yeah, just let me ask you that. So is there, you're gonna, you, and you may be getting there, but I just want to state it clearly for the listeners or ask it clearly for the listeners. So is there any data to suggest that moose, collision, moose, moose vehicle collisions are down and that may explain why the, the, the push for fencing has declined or, or, or where do we stand data-wise? Okay, so I keep in contact with New Brunswick. They got over 500 kilometers. Okay, and we're and and that's where I got the idea because I went there and and went met with transportation and the engineering there before I got when I got so big on to go. So I have some understanding what to do here. And Tim, uh, the moose vehicle accidents in New Brunswick has been reduced 95 percent. Uh, in the really? area where we got well, yes, and where we got the fence, and they're still continuing, and they only got 35,000 moose. And we got 110 plus thousand. So our our government is not doing justice to the people. We have had three fatalities this summer, and my and my sympathy goes out to the families. You know, my condolences going out to the families. I've attended a lot of funerals, Tim. I tell you, I have. I didn't attend these three funerals because I I haven't been I haven't been so active as I should be. I guess lately, but Tim, uh, uh, yes, fencing works. Uh, Brush cutting works, but Tim, what the government should do? They should listen to the people. The people like 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 I just had a cousin in an accident a few days ago. That's the ninth one of my family. Tim, they've been in moose vehicle accidents. Well, and as we're talking, Eugene, Dave just sent me a message to say that a caller just called to say most moose vehicle collision just west of Fox Trap Way Scales, emergency services are on the way, and the westbound lane is closed. So, yep. unfortunately, ironic yep. as we're speaking. Tim, honest to God, the moose is everywhere besides the emergency at the odd signs. 
I don't think they go to the emergency. But at Kenmount Road yesterday, for example. They'd, they'd be in line if they were at the emergency. Yeah, because we don't have very good health care in the province right now. Worse, the worst. Uh, so so what, what they could do to prevent people dying like these three people that have died this year. Listen, cut the brush, grub it off, hydro-seed it. Then you've got seed in your ditches instead of trees like New Brunswick is doing. But, Tim, there's nobody listening. And, and how worse, worse can it be than have people killed? We have had politicians killed. Marcy Johnson got killed. We have had uh, uh, um, Fabian Manning had a brain injury because yeah, he had a bad accident. Paper. I remember talking to him after that. Tell me, remind me, uh, Eugene, cost. Yep. So, if you were to do the full end job and move and and fence all that we needed to fence, what is that going to cost? Well, right now, like I said, I hasn't been as active as I used to be, but I, I know a clown with her was was like something like uh, I think somewhere around. Uh, a million dollars, I think. You know, okay. I think yeah, I think this, as you know, that to to grub it off, uh, I it and fence it. But uh, uh, right now, I can't give you a good estimate because, I, like I said, I don't think Sopec Sopec is as active as it should be. And this summer, for example, Tim, I know I'm prolonging this. We sure. had come home here. We had come home here. We did. The government didn't put the 800 number on this summer. They didn't put their ads on the radio. People coming from all over Canada, traveling to Newfoundland, and having moose accidents. When if there was an ad to remind them, well, if you don't have to travel at night, don't do it because we got 110,000 moose in this province, and you could end up eating one. You know, uh, but but it's been slack. I mean, transportation and wildlife and the forestry knows where. I, I'm in Springdale this morning. I do, does a lot of traveling. I'm in Springdale. I just came from Grand Falls, Windsor. Yep, and I got to let you go after this, Eugene. Go ahead. Yes, and we have had a fatality in the area I just drove, yeah. and the brush is next to the highway. Or well, maybe if they cut the brush, grub it off, they would save people's lives. Every person is important, and we got to Pre- do more than we're doing, Tim, and, and maybe I'm going to have to do what I've done back in, in 2009, start having demonstrations or do whatever it takes to get the, to wake up the government and get them take care of that program that Mr. Tom Edison put in place back years ago. All right, we'll leave it there. Good messages to think about. Uh, people be safe. We'll be thinking about the person on the Fox, up by Fox Trap, where the accident is. Thank you, Eugene, yes, for the will. call. Yeah, my, my number, Tim, is 486 No one wants to call to, to do something and, and help me with this. I, I okay. appreciate it. All right, thanks, Eugene. Have a good Thanksgiving. All right, that was Eugene Nibber. Now we're going to go to Jim just before the news here on Line 1. Jim, you want to talk about uh, housing. Uh, what's your take? Yes, uh, how are you this morning, Tim? I'm good, boy. How are you? Good, good. A little drop of rain, that's all. <laughs> it's everywhere today. It's raining where I am, too. Yeah, right on. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm I'm calling in concerning a, a, a grant that was uh, by the provincial government, a home energy program. I was approved for a grant back in February the 3rd, 2022. Okay. And I've been calling in. I call in April. I call in June. I call in July. And then I called in last week, and the only thing that I'm getting from the government is uh, from Newfoundland Labrador Housing, where you'll be there soon. But, I mean, uh, they got a great That's comforting, eh, Jim? <laughs> that's co- I said that's comforting. They'll be there soon. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's really helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. I mean, you're talking eight months. You're not talking a month. You're not talking two months. You're talking eight months. Yeah. Eight months ago, I've been approved for a $5,000 grant. I mean, I'm only, I only live uh, 90 kilometers from St. John's. 
Sure, if you took uh, so many every day, you'd have something done by that time. You know, I mean, this is ridiculous. Why do you probe those? And that's like a lot of this material that you get. you got to order it. Like say, for instance, yeah, you, you, you're, yeah, exactly, and you, you, it's if not need, like you can just start building it. Yes, I understand. Right. If I need windows, I got to get the window uh, measured up. I got to send them away. That's going to take another three months. So I mean, the sign for some people to listen to what's going on and get somebody. Um, I mean, they got people in there working, although we hope that they're working. But to me, it don't seem like there's too many working. I mean, eight months is a, you know, is a long time. Yeah, that, uh, that that is a long time. So have you tried to, I mean, I always give this advice, but it can be helpful. So I'll give it again. Have you tried to talk to your MHA? They're usually pretty good at getting somebody in the government to to, to move things along. Right. Yeah, you know, this is the only complaint I got. I mean, everybody, I mean, I even marked, marked it down. I, I talked to them April the 6th. I talked to them June the 10th. I talked okay. to them July the 29th. I talked to them October the 4th. I'm getting the same same story every time he calls in. <laughs> and I'm so he should just he should just record the message and give you that. Yeah. Dear That's Jim, do. push when play. I, when I mark it down, I mark it down on the sheet of paper that I got here from the government. <laughs> I call a certain day and I call a certain time. Like I can tell you what time of the day I call. I usually call oh, at 11:45 a.m. every time I call in. <laughs> that, that, that's like my uh, my the, one of those old ceiling chests. Every time you had a pelt, you'd, you'd scribble it off. You're, you've got the, 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 the scratch going on there. All right, well, I hope you get an answer soon. Keep us updated. We'll, uh, we'll keep on it for you, too. And if anybody knows about Jim's file and can help him out, give him a go. I mean, it's eight months is a long time. And if you want uh, these programs to work, you've got to do it better than that. Exactly. Okay, Tim, thank you very much. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, Jim. Okay. okay Have a nice Thanksgiving. All right. Time for our 10 o'clock news here on Open Line and back after that with more of your calls. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Uh, just to reiterate something that was said in the news a moment ago, we've uh, already given you some information on a moose vehicle collision up by the Fox Trap Way scales. Unfortunately, there's now another accident. I don't know whether it involves a moose or not. Uh, west of Bellevue Beach, multiple vehicles, all forms of uh, emergency services on the scene. Traffic is stopped in both directions. So uh, you'll want to avoid those areas and think about the people in those areas. Now, uh, happy to have Dan Meads, the provincial coordinator with the Transition House of Newfoundland and Labrador on the phone. Dan, how are you? Hi, Tim. Good to meet you on the radio. Uh, nice to meet you. Um, like uh, Jody Williams, you're a busy man. Uh, you're dealing with a, a lot of difficult, more difficult circumstances, arguably, than you have in the past because of the impact of, uh, of, of the uh, infl- inflation, cost of living on the economy. I um, want to get your take, Dan, first on the, the government's announcement announcement this week, uh, the, uh, the, the $500 or up to $500 for people making uh, uh, just under a hundred thousand, and uh, a little under five hundred five hundred dollars for people making a hundred and twenty-five thousand. What what's your take on this initiative, and, and does it help? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. So direct cash transfers to people when inflation is high and cost of living are increasing can be really good social policy. It does make sense to make sure that people have enough money in their pockets. It's really important that those things are targeted. And let's make sure we know what we're talking about, right? It's a $200 million price tag to this piece of public policy. So this is not just a little piece of policy, just a a small bit of spending. And it's a one-time thing. So this check is coming once, and then it's never going to come again. Let's talk about what... Who's getting it, right? That's really important. So everybody under $100,000, everybody making under $100,000 a year gets a $500 check. So who's that? Well, if they filed income tax, correct? If they filed income tax, sure. Yeah, that's a separate problem and we'll get to it. But let's assume that everybody who qualifies is going to receive this $500 check. So take a household that have got two people making $95,000 a year. That household gets $1,000 in benefits. So they got a a household income of just under 200K and they're taking home 1,000 bucks. Okay, right. I can understand that. Take somebody working single mom, two kids working for $30,000 a year. That person also only takes home $500. That's half the benefit. So we have a woman who really needs some changes. She's not able to keep up with the cost of living. She's only making $30,000 a year. $30,000 a year, of course, is more than minimum wage in this province still. But she needs that money far more than a household with $200,000 a year income, yet she's only getting half the benefit. This doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make sense to try to offset cost of living by giving the money to people who don't need it. Now, hold on. Let's take it to its extreme case. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So $125,000 is the top end of the cutoff, right? So let's take that same family, two incomes, right? Quarter million dollars a year they're taking home in income. They're going to get $500 in benefits, two checks at $250 a check. The other end of that spectrum, they're paid by the government in Newfoundland and Labrador under income support. So if you're on income support in this province, it's pretty reasonable you take home about $15,000 a year. So $15,000 a year instead of a quarter of a million dollars a year, what's your benefit? Well, it's the same. It's 500 bucks. So those two families, single earner, on income support, $15,000 a year takes home $500. Two income family taking home a quarter million dollars a year, their benefit? $500. So let me ask you this. You've thrown out a lot of uh, good numerical analysis there and give, giving us a picture of, of, of the, the, the uh, inequity that can exist in circum- certain circumstances. What's a better way of doing this, Dan? What would you counsel? Yeah, sure. This is a really easy answer to taking care of this. The government of Newfoundland and Labrador has income support rates that haven't increased are no longer indexed to inflation and are so far below the poverty line that people need to make double the amount of income support just to get there. The only answer that makes sense as a first and most basic step to address cost of living for people who need it in Newfoundland and Labrador is increase income support and index it to inflation. If you've got $200 million laying around trying to figure out what to do with it, you give it to the people who need it, and we know those people are already on income support. So we don't need a new program. We don't need to worry about who's filed their taxes and who hasn't. We don't need to wait for for the checks to come out. We just change income support rates to stop the, the province's most poor people from being that poor. It's that simple. Well, we we would both be naive not to suggest there's some politics here because people like receiving checks from the government. Uh, So, I mean, going back to the days when we got GST rebate checks uh, and people still get GST rebates and they've been doubled and the federal government's trying to to assist there. I'm... (laughs) 
I, sticking with the one-time payment for a moment. So if we are to believe economists, we're to believe uh, what we're hearing, that we're heading into a recession, economic circumstances aren't going to improve in the next six months to a year. So what comes next then? If, if your reform doesn't happen, are we issuing second checks? Take us through what should happen over the next uh, next number of months uh, if there is no reform of the system to deal with the income support that you've talked about. Well, I'll tell you what we were going to see as opposed to sort of what the fear is. We're seeing okay. increase in poverty rates. We're seeing a, a depth of poverty like we haven't seen in decades in this province. We're seeing complexity of cases coming into transition houses and other homeless shelters that are beyond anything we've ever seen in the 40 and 50 year existence wow. of these organizations. And so we're seeing these problems happen. So Dan, sorry, just, 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 so, just so people understand, and again, I know you can't talk about personal circumstances, but yeah. give us a sense of what a complexity of case looks like then, what it may yeah, have sure. been before, if you can simplify that. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're really talking about when we talk about these things is is chronic homelessness. And so homelessness that okay. isn't happening for just sort of an episodic or a one-off period of time. Okay. These people don't have the options to like go stay with family for a month until they get back on their feet. It's not that type of short-term homelessness okay. any longer. We are also seeing you know, mental illness and addictions, which are the same thing. We mm -hmm. split them out mm -hmm. for these conversations, but it's a useless distinction that doesn't have a difference. We're seeing individuals with uncontrolled addiction and mental illness that really need a different type of care than just housing supports. This is the, the what we're seeing from this government is there's a theme where every policy has winners and losers. I understand that. And governments need to make those decisions based on politics and all sorts of things. And I accept that too. My concern is that there's a, a, a series of policy decisions being made that always seem to leave behind the most vulnerable. And so let's take some examples of it, right? So this is a great one. We're going to give people with $15,000 a year, 500 bucks. We're going to give families with a quarter million dollars, 500 bucks. It doesn't make any sense. The sugar tax is another great example, right? And so any tax yeah. that isn't based on income is inherently regressive. So it's hurting people living in poverty more than it's hurting wealthy people. It's not based on income. And so by percentage of income, it is going to hurt people living in poverty more. That, at the same time, they announced this really interesting and innovative physical activity tax credit. Mm -hmm. So up to $2,000 a year for yep. families to try to get people moving around a little better. This is great. Look, we've got a health crisis in this province. We need to do something about long-term preventative health. I totally agree. Here's the problem. We're taking tax dollars from poor people. We're giving it back to people who can afford expensive recreational activities, and then they get it back on their tax return up to $2,000. So, again, it's inequitable. It's a theme. Where it's, it's, these guys are like anti-Robin Hood sometimes. <laughs> here's another that. one for you. Here's, here's a great All right, last minute because i got to go to break. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Give me sure. one more. So we've got a ton of people in Port of Basque, right? We're really concerned they've lost their houses. It is mm -hmm. unacceptable. Government needs to intervene. So the premier goes on TV and he says, we're going to buy people houses. Uh, you know, if you had a house that was worth $200,000, we're going to replace it for you and build you a house that's $200,000. What about the 200 other homeless people in Newfoundland and Labrador today? Yeah. Nothing. We're not building them houses. No, we're not. Like a year-long waiting list for the Newfoundland and Labrador Housing Corporation. Again, you had a house, you lost your house in Port of Basque. That is support that is needed. I'm glad that is happening. I don't understand why they're choosing not to help other people. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your insight, and uh, you're helping giving 
giving me and I suspect many of the listeners a greater understanding of the complexities of all of this. I always just worry about the one time check, too, because it builds false expectations as well. Never mind the politics of it and the policy problems with it. It's not a time to build false expectations for people that all of a sudden, oh, you're going to get another check. Yeah, you could get another check and you could get another check. Yeah, people change their behavior when their expectations are, are torqued. Anyway, Dan, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Talk soon. All right. Uh, no, I'm going to go for a break, Dave. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with Kevin after that. All right. We're going to go right to Kevin, as promised. He's been uh, waiting patiently. Thank you, Kevin. You have a quick comment you want to offer on all that we're seeing with Hockey Canada. What is it? Good morning, Tim. Morning. Um, I do want to uh, comment on this Hockey Canada situation. Uh, I really don't believe that the uh, Canadian public understands the scope of what this has done to uh, parents <laughs> of, of uh, hockey players. Uh, my my, uh, my niece's son, like, she put him through uh, hockey uh, all the way up, and the money that she paid as things progressed like two thousand, five thousand, seven thousand. Yeah, it's not cheap. No, it's not. And uh the uh, media now like every time they talk about it, they're saying hockey Canada, hockey Canada. Well, the Canadian public doesn't know who hockey Canada is really, you know. That's a fair point. And these young men and women you know, were were put in their care, and who was looking after them? Who let this happen? Yeah, who who let the behavior develop? And uh, yeah, it's a good question. Now, important to point out: so far, what we know, it's at the elite levels because there are a lot of parents, me included, uh, the next guy on the line as well, who are very involved at in, at hockey at a minor level, a non-elite level, that are doing their best to care for kids. But it's it's yeah, who let this happen? It's a, it's just, that is a key question in all of this, and what are they doing to address it? And you know how far down the line does it go? Like who who is responsible? Yeah, uh, and we we need those answers. Just just before I let you go, what would you let you what would you like to hear from Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador? Do you think they should say something more than they have right now? Because they are at the front lines of running hockey in the province. They have not been implicated. They no one is suggesting they have done anything wrong. To be fair, but what would you like to see from Hockey NL? I would like to hear from everyone who is responsible to sneak up and say that they either they do not condone this, they want to do something about it. The, the, this hockey Canada people, they're behaving like the Republicans. You know, like, who the hell? You know, we can do what we want. And you know, nobody is doing anything to us. Okay. It's ridiculous. All right. I got to leave it there. I agree with you, as you heard. Thank you for calling. I'd love to hear from more people on this. And I think Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador, again, not ascribing any blame to them, but I think they have a responsibility to say more. Thanks, Kevin, for your call today. 
Thank you, Tim. Okay, that was Kevin. Uh, now, uh, joined by the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, Dr. Andrew Fury. Premier, how are you today? morning tim how you doing i'm good i want to go to that issue first you're a hockey dad you've been involved in hockey uh you've been following this story of hockey canada you know there's some criticism in newfoundland about hockey newfoundland and labrador not saying enough what what's your take first of all on the situation and maybe what hockey newfoundland and labrador ought to do well, first of all, I think, you know, as a parent um, and as a former uh, player, uh, I'm very troubled. And I think uh, I think I share uh, every every Canadian's concern about uh, Hockey Canada and the organization and, frankly, uh, the response to this and what appears to be multiple incidents is, uh, is, is unacceptable. Um, I'm confident and hopeful that Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador will... Uh, will uh, take a similar approach to others in expressing their uh, concern and demand for action at the parent organization level. I do know that Hockey Newfoundland is run by incredible volunteers, and uh, certainly it's greatly appreciated. Um, but I think the time has come to put pressure on the parent organization uh, to do the right thing and uh, to help uh, rebuild uh, the organization in an open and transparent way, one that we can all be proud of and all be proud to, to send your kid on the ice for. Yeah, and, and it, look, just picking up on that point, I want to reiterate it. You and I have both volunteered for sports organizations. There are lots of people who've done lots of good. I'm not trying to crucify Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador. If anything, I'm trying to encourage them and respect, as you yeah, said, the volunteer work they do to say a bit more about where they stand. All right, let's move off of that. A lot of things on your agenda. Cost of living, um, big story. You're dealing with it. Um, I've had Dan Meads on today. I've had the Bridges of Hope people on today. Uh, well, they will say they're appreciative of the um, the $500 that uh, may be available to people depending on their income bracket. They say more needs to be done. Dan Mead says, um, including enhancing our uh, current programs for low-income people. Uh, Bridges to Hope uh, will will argue that uh, these are just kind of token gestures. What's your what's your thinking? What's your response to that? Well, you know, when I'm hearing the complaints from uh, people across the province, I don't believe that they're token complaints. I, d I believe they're real complaints. I believe that uh, the middle-class family who's sitting around the table trying to figure out uh, how to purchase groceries differently, uh, uh, taking items out of the cart, uh, those are real conversations uh, that are happening in all classes uh, throughout our province. Um, I do believe that uh, this is more than a token gesture. It is uh, will help uh, people in our province uh, during this tough time, especially as winter is coming upon us. We have already, I think people have forgotten uh, some of the items that we've already done uh, to help address uh, the cost of living from a program perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, so this check is outside, of course, a program. A program. It's, it's a one-off. Uh, so from when considering uh, the wraparound supports that we're providing and enhancing the programs that are already in place, we've increased the income supplement. We've increased uh, the payment to seniors. We've cut the motor vehicle registration by 50%. We've you know, alleviated uh, temporarily the, the tax on house insurance. Uh, we've uh, introduced $10 a day child care. We've cut the gas tax uh, in half. 
and uh, you know we're we're continuing to reevaluate. So it's it's a more holistic approach than any other province across our country has uh, has employed. And that we're looking at targeted measures uh, like the check, but also program and policy measures like the ones that I just listed. Um, we will continue to monitor the inflationary pressures that people are feeling and respond appropriately. Um, and that's something that I've said from day one. As the fiscal situation in the province changes, uh, we have a responsibility to the past, present, and future. Um, but we have to do so in an organized way, not just uh, shooting from the hip. And I believe the program uh, support issues that we addressed uh, in the spring were important. I forgot, the, Tim, of course, the home heating supplement, uh, which will be important for people as we as we enter, uh, enter the, the uh, fall and, and winter seasons. Uh, given the projections we have for the economy across the world, which aren't great, as you know, uh, though nope. there are some improvements uh, expected, but we could have the dreaded R word, a recession. That brings its own set of economic challenges. It may damper inflation in other ways, but it may also make it difficult for people. Could there be a reasonable expectation that there might be another check coming for people? Or as you say, you're taking this on a day-by-day no, day day basis? Yeah, I think it'd be wrong for uh, for us uh, to uh, promise something uh, without knowing uh, uh, the fiscal realities uh, of uh, of our economy. And look, we've been part of the part of the reason we're in this situation is the fluidity, the the, yep. the, the volatility of commodities. I mean, we're we're fortunate in some respects to be a commodity based economy, which we're trying to diversify. And we've done a good job of diversifying away from, but we're still largely as as the as per the rest of Canada, by the way, a commodity based. Uh, economy and the fluctuations, however, that can exist in those uh, commodities have uh, have led to the ups and downs that have been historic in Newfoundland and Labrador, and that's why. You know, we said uh, when we announced the cost of living that we were going to use some of the extra fiscal firing power this year to pay off the debt. We were uh, some of the debt. We were going to uh, use it to help families today as they're making those tough, hard choices, and pay into uh, the future fund uh, to, so that when uh, to help smooth those big swings of commodities for future generations. Uh, but to make a, a promise of a check today, when you know, who knows, Tim? I mean, <laughs> if you had to ask me this time last year, I mean, we were projecting oil to still be around $65 a barrel, right? So, yeah. you know, uh, we have to respond to global uh, pressures and global situations, and I think uh, that our that our government has done so in a responsible way. Uh, the line on the sugar tax being held. Uh, I know that's an important issue for you, health and wellness. The opposition arguing that, look, uh, if you do have this extra revenue, why do you need to have tax, ta tax, taxing, excuse me, sugar sweetened beverages, which people do avail themselves of? Any flexibility there, or or, or is this just not moving? First of all, you know, I have to correct, have to correct the the first uh, comment in that it's not a sugar tax, a sugar sweetened beverage tax. Sugar sweetened beverage tax, uh, yeah. correct. So, uh, so uh, you know, people need to under. I think we all know that our health outcomes here are the worst in the country. I reminded the opposition yesterday, uh, and will remind everybody today. We lead the country. We are number one in the country. In obesity, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, amputation for diabetes, and we have the lowest pregnancy. So we have to try something. I mean, we're asking people to put, when they go to reach for a drink, we're not telling them not to buy the drink, mm -hmm. can make, consider an alternative option. 
And the evidence that has been borne out when this has been done in other jurisdictions, like the United Kingdom, it's all there to be reviewed in the British Medical Journal, if someone so chooses, is that the producers don't suffer. In fact, the, the, the sales remain the same. In fact, they may go up a little bit. Uh, but they, uh, people do choose the lower sugar, lower calorie content drink, which is a, is a mechanism to prevent uh, obesity. It's a mechanism to prevent uh, diabetes. Uh, we're giving people uh, there is an alternative. So this is not an in, this is not a revenue generator. In fact, the revenue we hope we generate no revenue from this. That would be ideal. But whatever revenue we do generate will be given back to people through uh, programs like Kids Eat Smart. Okay. We've got about a minute and a half. You've got to go, and I've got to go to break. Uh, two very quick things, though they're both sig- well, significant. One is um, maybe a quick commentary on the $300 million the feds have committed for Hurricane Fiona relief, and uh, any message you'd like to give to people for Thanksgiving, we'd certainly welcome that. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, sure. So I had a conversation last uh, yesterday evening with uh, Minister LeBlanc, Minister Blair, uh, and Minister Pettipot Taylor uh, about the 300 million. Uh, it's still being um, a massage, I suppose, from a bureaucratic, bureaucratic perspective in terms of how it's going to be uh, allocated. Uh, but thematically, um, I think people should take comfort in the fact that the feds will be there with that 300 million as a backstop after all other uh, proceeds have been. Um, Exhausted. Um, so people who have lost their homes, who are uninsured, which we're already going to cover in our 30 million, for example. Um, if there are other items, uh, you know, other things that uh, that need to be uh, looked after, then that's what that 300 million. I wish I had more details, Tim, but okay. frankly, there, there there weren't many being provided, other than the reassurance that the money is there, and a willingness, I do believe, uh, to uh, escalate payments. I know some of these payments uh, in the past have been slow to the provinces. You know, there's still uh, still uh, relief being provided from a 2010 event, for example, you know, so uh, there is that willingness. Uh, with respect to uh, uh, Thanksgiving, I think, you know, we're very fortunate here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Tim, to be having these conversations on cost of living and how we can best uh, use our fiscal capacity to look after uh, people today, to pay down some of our credit card debt and to make investments in the future. I think we're very fortunate to live in a free and peaceful society uh, that isn't being experienced around the world right now. The inflationary pressures are real, but when you look at uh, some other countries around the world, the inflationary pressures are uh, are, are leading to extreme poverty. And um, we're very, very lucky here to be able to have these uh, conversations, to be able to have uh, leaders uh, from all sides of the house who are open uh, to exploring opportunities to look after people. Uh, we're very fortunate to live in a place that has such a strong sense of community that it rallies around people in times of need, like in on the southwest coast. And uh, I wish everyone a very peaceful and reflective uh, Thanksgiving weekend. All right. Same to you, Premier. Always appreciate the time. You have a good day. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, that was Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, Dr. Andrew Fury. We went a little long because there were a lot of things we wanted to raise. We didn't get a chance to talk about health care in any great detail, but uh, next time, time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls after that. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. 
Welcome back to Open Line. As I said, we went a little long there with the Premier, but there were a lot of issues to discuss. Now I'm going to go to Connie Pike. Uh, Connie is a retired police officer and anti-violence advocate. Connie, good morning. Good morning, Tim. How's it going? It's going uh, okay. What's on your mind today, Connie? Well, um, first of all, very quickly, it's a little bit off topic, uh, but not so much really in the big scheme of things. I wanted to... Um, say that I agree with Dan Meads when he called in about the math being off on these uh, checks that are upcoming. So I'll just say that and leave it there because it's not time to get into that. Um, in any event, I wanted to uh, talk about Child Abuse Prevention Month. And um, traditionally, we have been in this province uh, acknowledging the month of April uh, to be that month. However, and government signed a proclamation actually a number of years ago stating that to be the month. But in keeping with the national standards, uh, we are now transitioning into October month because that's what most areas of the country um, designate as Child Abuse Prevention Month. So, um, Yesterday, some of the activities we have going on, yesterday um, we sent an email, uh, and I represent Miles for Smiles in okay. capacity that I'm talking, sorry. That's okay. Um, so yesterday we sent out over 270 emails to uh, all our municipalities in the province and asking them to sign a proclamation and uh, name uh, a day or a month or whatever they saw fit, but at least to discuss and uh, proclaim child abuse to be a problem in this province, which it very much is. So um, hopefully the communities will come on side because they're a very important partner in our efforts to reduce child abuse in the province. Um, Connie, can I ask you a question on this? And it, and it, it comes from what Dan Mead said. Um, okay. e economic circumstances being as tough as they are, I sadly assume that means that child abuse incidences are on the rise, are they? Well. <laughs> or is there data that hopefully doesn't say that? I, I would like to be able to confirm with you, Tim, one way or the other, but it was part of the frustration that I was going to speak to and okay. do that now. Um, it is uh, frustrating because child abuse in this province, in this country, you know, frankly, globally, doesn't get the attention, attention yeah. that it deserves. We're basically dealing with a public health crisis when it comes to child abuse. And sadly, um, if you check the Violence Prevention Initiative website, the most recent statistics are dating back to 2012. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's not, you know, helpful. We need current numbers. We need to know what's going on now, today. And I would suspect that the numbers have gone up, Tim. Even if you looked at the 2012 numbers, and I keep saying this to Patty when I call, I don't think people realize the extent and scope of what's going on in the province. Back in 2012, when those numbers were published, uh, we were dealing with four new cases of child abuse every day. Really? Wow. Yes, four that are reported. 
And what you have to remember. Yeah, that are reported. That's a key aspect of this, yeah. Exactly. Because only 10% of these crimes are reported. So, really, if you do that math, speaking of math, uh, you're talking 40 new cases every day. You know, 36. Gee, my God. Wow. Wow. You know, that are unreported are uh, kept in-house, pardon the pun. Um, they're known probably in the community, yeah. by neighbors, by yeah. other people. People talk, right? They talk yes. and they know and they, they are aware. They're not unaware. Yes, exactly. And every time there's a major incident, you will hear people say, you know, I thought there was something funny going on there. I had yeah. my suspicions. But people don't report. And you can report to the department based on, you know, a suspicion. If you are unsure, then at least report it, which, of course, then speaks to the problem of, you know, are there enough people to respond? Are there enough resources to respond? And that brings me to another frustration because we have all kinds of agencies and groups in our province, but we don't seem to be interacting enough. We're not communicating enough. And, you know, it's really, really frustrating to see these numbers go on, Tim. Like, that's one of the biggest pieces for me and the group Miles for Smiles in all of this. We are not seeing the numbers go down. So, and that includes, like, for sexual assault, Mm -hmm. domestic violence, intimate partner violence. For all those crimes against people, we are not seeing the numbers decrease. So you have to ask yourself, why is that? What is missing? What are we missing? And, you know, I have my own thoughts on that. Uh, Bev uh, Morgan. Connie, Connie, we've only got a a minute, and I'm sorry. But I do want to get your take on something in that minute. What's your take on what's happening with Hockey Canada and the way this is being handled, given it is about uh, some serious committing of sexual violence based on the allegations that we've seen? Well, that particular situation speaks to the whole realm of we're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Businesses, organizations, governments, again, like I said, we're not interacting, we're not connecting the dots. It's a a phrase I use all the time. We're not connecting the dots. And it's not a responsibility of one agency to reduce these numbers and to make people aware of what's happening. We have to be, we have to familiarize ourselves Mm -hmm. with the dynamics. Like most children are not in a position, and I, I include these young hockey players, they're not in a position to articulate what they're experiencing. But of course, you compound that with one of the main hallmarks of abuse, which is the secrecy and the mm-hmm. threats if you tell anyone. And this is what we end up with. So, you know, if people know, again, it's that I thought something was going on, but I wasn't sure, I didn't want to speak up, and then you have the victims of these crimes who are, don't feel they're able to speak up, you put those two things together, and it's yeah. all that secrecy and keeping these things under wraps. It's the least helpful thing. We have okay. to create environments where people can come forward and tell their stories. 
Evmore Davis has been telling her story for years yeah. now, but as a child, and of course it would tug at your heartstrings if you heard children talking about this abuse, mm-hmm. but Bev was a child who didn't want to leave school on the weekends or go, uh, you know, celebrate holidays. She wanted to stay in school 24-7 because that was her safe space. Yeah. And we don't, we don't often think about issues like that. Bev hated going home. You know, that's a sad Because it wasn't that. safe for her. No, I, I, I yeah. You've, you know, you've how many brought all... in the province, though, who hate going home? Home, yeah. No, many. it's... And many. as we reflect on things over Thanksgiving, that's an important thing to reflect. I have to leave it there, Connie. Thank you. Very helpful. A little some tough information there. And uh, as you allude to and state directly, we all have to do more to be aware to help people stay safe. Thank you, Connie, for your time today. Thank you. I really hope that this month people will go out of their way to educate themselves a little bit more on the topic. All right. Thank you. Uh, Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Dr. Connors and Alex, you are both next after the break here. All right. Welcome back to Open Line. Now we're going to be joined by Dr. Sean Connors. Uh, Dr. Connors is a cardiologist and the chief of Eastern Health's Cardiac Care Program, who's going to give us an update on the Cardiac Care Program. Are you there, Dr. Connors? I'm here, Tim. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, nice to be with you this morning. How, how, how are things with the Cardiac Care Program? What can you tell us about some of your recent achievements? Well, Tim, listen, I, I'm really proud of what we're doing here for the care of our patients in Newfoundland. And just to, you know, to give you a little bit of context, you yes. know, heart and stroke disease affects more Newfoundland Labradorians than any other disease out there. And the difference is when you have a heart attack or you have a stroke, you want good care, you know what, and you want that care fast. So, um, Tim, I I really think it's important to talk about some of the things that we're doing there because I think it goes a long way to help reassure patients that are out there that might be struggling with heart disease or might have symptoms that they're worried about. Mm See, you know, I, I was worried that um, reading media reports yesterday that there might be some confusion uh, about what I think is really one of the great healthcare initiatives that we have going on in this province, one that really will impact and help our heart patients that are out there. Uh, this is the deal with uh, Ottawa Hospital? Yeah, like we, we've partnered, um, we've created this partnership with the leading um, heart institute in the country mm-hmm. and aligned ourselves with them. And we think that our heart teams here and our heart teams there and with this exchange of information, it allows us to really advance what we can offer our heart patients. We, like, we want to give them world-class care. And our heart teams here, I think, are able to do that. And to make sure that we continue to do that in the future, um, I think is really important. It's, it's what allows me to, to, to get up and to come to work every day because you need to make a difference. And... You know, coming out of the pandemic, we've all struggled with challenges. I mean, my goodness, the pandemic wasn't hard. It wasn't easy on any of us in healthcare. And as we emerge from that pandemic, you know, that there are struggles, uh, but, but we've got to meet those struggles. And so, you know, partnering with um, an institution like the Ottawa Heart Centre, the Ottawa Heart Institute, allows us to bring innovative strategies. It allows us to be able to bring the best possible care to our patients. And, you know, I think that if patients are confused it, it, and maybe based on those reports that they read yesterday, then then maybe you and I can have a chat and, and probably explore that a little bit more. Well, you, you're, you're talking to a convert, and you didn't know this, but um, my aunt used to be Dr. Keon's head nurse at the uh, Ottawa Heart Institute. So you don't have to sell me on the Ottawa Heart Institute, and I live but a 
few uh, few streets away from it. Uh, I'm a friend of Peter Lewis, who you will know, who received Absolutely. incredible care at the Ottawa Heart Institute, along with many other Newfoundlanders. Andy Wells, the former late mayor, also received fantastic care there. I mean, for people who are listening, I'm doing your work for you, Dr. Collins, this morning. <laughs> for people who are listening, it, it is the preeminent institute in North America, some would argue. So it, it's a... It, it, anyway, I, I'll stop doing your work for you, Dr. Connors. You go ahead. Pick it up from there. I agree with you, Tim. But look, we've got great people here. And i got to tell you, when we have these world-class surgeons, they come down here and they operate with our teams here. You know what they tell me? They tell me that the people, the nurses, the perfusionists, the cardiologists, the surgeons that we have here, they're world-class too. They say they're as good as the people we have at home. And, they, and then we bring this information. They see what we do. We see what they do. And, and there's this exchange of information. And I have to tell you, like this relationship that we've, we've managed to build out of that connection, and we've have a, we have a long history mm-hmm, do, of this yep. connection with Ottawa. It goes back 20 years. I mean, our people that need some services we can't offer here, like heart transplantation, well, we use Ottawa because they, our patients get such good service in Ottawa for the vast majority of them. So, so it has allowed us to, to really develop um, some unique and some innovative strategies coming out of the pandemic. You know, it's Canadians helping Canadians. And I think in Newfoundland, we do that better than anywhere else. You know, you look at the southwest coast and you look at the hurricane and the struggle and you yeah. saw the, the prime minister come down. But probably, uh, uh, you know, under the radar, here we are. We, we've constructed these alliances with, with the Ottawa Heart Institute. And I have to say they're friends of mine. And, and yeah. I think a lot of people in our heart teams have come to discover that, that they're, they're more than just doctors that come here. They're our friends to help our patients here in Newfoundland. Well, and Dr. Connors, what I learned through Peter when he was here, because I've been lifelong friends with his wife and uh, got to know some of what he was going through here. There's a whole community of Newfoundland patients who come here who support each other and I remember Peter telling me stories of fellow Newfoundlanders who were were getting uh, health care from the Ottawa Heart Institute who took a similar journey may, may have had a different cardiac condition uh, and how and, and how helpful that was because this has been if I could describe it in the words that I heard it from Peter it's almost like it fits like a glove uh, and that and and that for him as a patient you know better than I again the mental aspect of dealing with a cardiac disease and all that that does to you having that support that was built in here by Newfoundlanders because of their comfort with the Institute was incredible for me to witness Tim, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I see our patients that move away, and some that have never left Newfoundland ever before. They go to Ottawa, and the first thing that happens is that that little network of Newfoundlanders in Ottawa adopt them. They come to see them. They visit them. They'll, they'll cook them meals. And then they'll go into, uh, into the hospital itself, and they'll, they'll meet the physicians. And the first thing that will happen is that one of the surgeons will say to them, you know what, I was just in Newfoundland, and you guys have great <laughs> people down there, and I know your heart doctors, and they know us. And that it instills, you know, how important it is to feel comfortable when you're getting kind of care that, that you, you're very, you're afraid, you're scared when you go in for open heart surgery or for a heart transplant or anything. And any little bit of comfort that you might be able to get, I think is really important. Well, and if I recall correctly, Dr. Connors, didn't Peter and Tracy, they've donated a painting that Peter did of his, uh, the view, because as people may, may or may not know, the Ottawa Heart Institute looks at the spacious, uh, though not for much longer, uh, Ottawa Experimental Farm. And so, the, so there, there now is, if you're a Newfoundlander, a prominent Newfoundland piece of art, albeit depicting Ottawa, that sits in the Ottawa Heart Institute. 
Absolutely. You know, um, and I got to give you about a minute. So I've done your work okay, for you, Doctor Connors, but well, you got a minute. You know, it comes down to connection. It comes about comes down to patients, and it comes down to doctors caring about patients and patients feeling comfortable. And and Peter's experience really highlights that. You know, at the end of the day, look, I want to assure people that are out there, and you might be waiting for a heart procedure, you might be waiting for surgery, and that is that when they get their treatment here, I am confident that our heart teams here are among the best in the world. And, and, and partnering with this with Ottawa Heart, it, uniquely in the country. Like we've talked about, and at a national level, our bodies have recognized this, they've looked at it, and we think that, that maybe other programs, whether it be neurosurgery or any other unique program, maybe partnering with uh, another institution is the way to keep you on the edge of innovation, uh, of being able to offer the very best to patients. So I'm really excited. I have to tell you that, that to me, this, this partnership has brought a lot of um, energy and has brought a lot of expertise and it's not just about doctors, about our nurses and our managers yep. and our perfusionists and our anesthetists, all to be exposed. I mean, how can that be a bad thing? I, I, I see it uh, every day in our patients, and I think it's quite helpful for this province. Well, I, I, like I said, you, you got to lay up this morning because I fully agree <laughs> with you and have a long family history there. But uh, it's an important story you're telling, and I can attest to the validity secondhand and, and firsthand from my aunt uh, of all that you say. Great to have you on, Dr. Connors. Thank you. Thanks for the time, Tim. Okay. Alex, you're going to have to wait, buddy. I am sorry. My bad. Not Dave's fault. We're going to go to news. You're on right after that if you can hang on. Uh, now, time for our VOCM News. Back with you after that. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to Open Line Last. What do we got? 52 minutes. Uh, and just so you know, before I go to Alex, man, <laughs> Alex, I owe you. Uh, we have put in another request to Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador. And I, I, it's a safe space here for you, Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador. As the Premier said, as others have said, I appreciate your volunteers. I just think you need to give more clarity. Anyway, it's your choice whether you do or you don't. And I thank you for the work that you do. But I think it's important you talk a little bit more to the public. So you have a space here at least until noon. And I'm sure our news team will take you any other time during the day. Now, Alex, you've waited. Thank you for waiting. What's on your mind? Not a problem, Tim. What a great show you got running today, I must say. A lot of diverse oh. topics. Well, there's a lot going on, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's just from health care to, to cost of living to what's happening in hockey. And we haven't even gotten into Alberta and what Russia and the Ukraine. Anyway, thank you. Tell me what's on yeah, your yeah, mind. There's so much I want to comment on, but I did call in for a reason. I wanted to call okay. in about the, the cost of living payment. It's a pretty specific question, so you might not have the answer. Okay. I'll tell you if I know it or don't, and I can look it up for you. Yeah, sh yeah sure. So I understand that the CRA will mm -hmm. be utilized to determine the eligibility requirements for Newfoundland residents. So with this, with this cost of living payment, so I'm just wondering, like, due to the CRA's involvement, can or will that payment, in my case, it's, it's $500, be used to pay off any tax debt? <laughs> <laughs> What? Alex, CRA wouldn't try and claw back money, would they? No, I... never. No, 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 never. Uh, we don't want them to I know. Mean, I... I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my situation. I mean, yeah, yeah, go I mean, ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure many people are in the same. I, I got reassessed. I mean, like, yeah, I just yeah. got a letter. Which happens. Me, which happens, yeah. Which happens, you know what I mean? And um, 
So, you know, they came out and said, hey, you owe us more money for taxes for 2021 year. And I'm just wondering if that money that's, you know, paid by the province will be collected to recover that debt. Because, I mean, the other side of things, too, you could have people that owe um, a debt, uh, but on a payment plan. So they're, they're, they're making yeah, yeah. effort to pay it. So I'm, I'm just curious because that's going to screw over a lot of people. I mean, how much debt do you think the Newfoundlanders carry just through CRA? Uh, yeah, well, let me tr- – I, all right. I don't know the specific answer, but I think this, and we can try and pick, uh, try and get the proper answer. I think it is uh, a one, as it's a one-time special payment. No doubt, the pointy-head calculator using wonderful people at our Department of Finance have contemplated that there may be people who, in your circumstance and other circumstances who are have been reassessed and will have to pay back more. I suspect the way Newfoundland has set it up is that it's a flow-through and that because this kind of like a child benefit because I know they can't yes, touch any of that. I, 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 the CRA I don't know of them. I mean, they have to go through processes if they were ever to garnish anything. So it probably flows through uh, mm. with, uh, with with no scalping off the top, if you Yeah. Will. Well, if you're pondering, it must be a half-decent question. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, 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 think I've, I think I've been born as many have to ponder how to work well with the CRA. Let's just leave That's it right, that way, yeah. Alex. And it kind of ties into the, the the premier's comments, and maybe he would know if, if I had. You know, he would know. He and I, I'm you know, sorry, and, he didn't uh, have a chance to talk beforehand, but I, I'm no, sure you okay. get the full amount. Yeah, yeah, no, and I just want to comment on some of the things the premier said because, again, I'm sure I'm not the only one thinking this. You know, he he kind of went on to say all the things that they were doing, and of course, you had people calling this morning and say how it's, you know, it's not, you know, there's not equity across, you know, people making quarter of a million dollars and someone making thirty thousand or twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because, you know, the premier said, well, we were doing this and we cut the gas tax. And, okay, I said, okay, well, someone's making $20,000 a year. They probably don't have a car. They probably use public transit or walk. Um, So then they're not benefiting from the gas tax. Uh, And then he mentioned to say that, oh, well, we also took care of, you know, we gave a tax break to homeowners who had housing insurance. I said, well, I don't think it got applied to renters because, again, if you're making – $20,000, $30,000 $20,000, a year, probably don't have a house. You're right. probably renting. Um, again, so there's no break for them there. And then he went on to say that, okay, well, we also gave 50% reduction in vehicle registration. But, again, if you don't have a car. So I'm just wondering, I mean, at what point are they going to help these people? Because the things that are currently being implemented by the government doesn't seem to be, like many callers this morning have said, directly impacting the people who need it. Um but yeah, yeah, and that's why you had Dan Means argue that you know it really yeah. the one universal tool, or the as, as Dan described it, is uh, is are, are the are the income benefit programs that right, factor yeah. in um, some of the things that you've talked about, where they're not based on what you may have or what you they're based, I think, specifically often on your income and then what and, and mm-hmm. are in, impacted by inflation it's not so much what you own or don't own 
own. So right. based on yeah. what you're, yeah. you're taking in, which I guess that's after a problem in. looking at it, you know. Yeah, could factor it all in. For you, how is yeah. it? I mean, I, I, I look, I, I know as you prepare to answer that question, I know it is tougher out there for people. Like uh, somebody was talking about the price. I think it was uh, Jody was talking about the price of turkey. People not buying it this year. Uh, I know if you ever want meat, I mean, that's through the roof. Um, how, how is it for you as you go about your daily business, daily life? Are you making choices that you wouldn't make before about having to buy something, not buy something? What's going on? Oh, my God, yes. I mean, Jesus, you can't even pick up a block of butter less than $8 now. It seems like everything's down to the roof, you know. So, you know, this is funny talking about the turkeys. You know, people were gathered around um, the cooler at Walmart, and, you know, everyone's just – you know, before you just kind of pick your turkey based on the size, and now people are just reaching for the tag. It's the first thing they do, you know, <laughs> trying to get, you know, the $27 one, but then they're going for the twenty six eighty just because it's a little bit of a relief, you know? Yeah, so, it's, you know, uh, yeah I, I it's laugh, but it's not funny. You know? I mean, it's it's like, what was it, food inflation, 10% across the board, the last figure I heard. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Anyway, got to leave it there. Yeah. I'll see if I can get a precise yeah. answer to your question, but I imagine CRA will let you keep that money, but they will still bill you for what you uh, oh, they will leave you over sure. All right. Good to talk to you. Thank you for waiting, Alex. Uh, Thanks, Tim. Have a good one. All right, you too. All right, time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with your calls after this. Welcome back to Open Line. Going to go now to uh, Sandy Hickman, a St. John's City Councilor at large and the lead on public works. Sandy, how are you today? Good, Tim, and yourself. I am good. Before we d- discuss the depressing topic, depressing topic of snow clearing. Thank you. Thanks for bringing in the snow already, Sandy. Uh, let, I want to want to ask you a question because listen, you're a big sports guy. I remember your big baseball star with the guards years ago. Better than that brother of yours, better athlete. Um, when you look at what's going on with Hockey Canada, what do you think, Sandy? Oh, it's it's upsetting. No question about it. I think they're uh, not taking uh, their responsibility serious. They're they're really hiding behind. Uh, I don't know what they're hiding behind, but perhaps their own reputations or their own uh, uh, high opinion of themselves. And uh, they are completely missing the mark on this. And uh, I am upset about it, as a, any sports person or any Canadian would be. And uh, I'm uh, pleased that other bodies have recognized that. And are, are dealing with it, you know, the provincial bodies and uh, sponsors, etc. And uh, the fact that it happened is distressing, uh, of course. But the fact that they did not address it and they almost hit it at the time is upsetting to all of us. But yeah, no, I'm actually quite surprised at, at how uh, tough a stance they're taking on this, and uh, yeah. they really aren't reading the tea leaves here at all. The public and the government is completely uh, against what they're doing. Yeah, when when, you, when the sponsors and the prime minister oh, all say uh, the uh, the backside is out of her or the arse is out of her, to use the yeah. Newfoundland expression, you probably should pay attention. Anyway, Absolutely thank you for right. that. Uh, snow clearing, depress us. Tell us uh, before yeah. the snow falls what's it's coming. Yeah. What's it? So where are where are where is the city with this now? I gather there were a number of motions put to the council. Yeah, we were. Uh, so you take us through that. Actually. Yeah, it was kind of a specific. Specific discussion that uh, it's been evolving over time. Uh, I must say, I've been a council now for 21 years, and we did not do a great job 15, 20 years ago in sidewalks. We did some of the basics, 
Uh, they pushed back a bit of snow off the streets and some of the bigger routes and that, but that was about it. It really became uh, the last eight, ten years uh, a much better understanding about mobility for people year-round, etc., and trying to find main routes that, that should be kept open so it's possible. So over the years, we've dedicated a fleet of, of uh, vehicles, and now in 21, we spent an extra one point. Uh, Four million on new equipment and more equipment to further expand the routes. Last year, we spent a half million dollars extra and put it in the budget going forward for an extra shift. So we would have mm-hmm. two shifts. Now we have a three shift uh, thing that makes sure that the routes are open faster. So we've expanded our routes a little bit and we're needed, but we've also now made sure that we clear them faster. So what we've done this time now is that uh, try to take care of some of the crosswalks okay. and uh, in terms of uh, one uh, some of the in the winter some of the um, uh, pedestrian access uh, uh, the buttons are automatic because uh, it's hard to reach them with snow piled up around others are still uh, pedestrian activated so what we want to do is get in faster to shovel around those posts where the buttons are but also at the same time perhaps just as importantly is the windrow uh, which is the piled snow hmm. uh, when a plow goes by like the driver doesn't stop and sort of go back and forth and try and open up a sidewalk in each direction at an intersection they just go to sort of go on through so this this has a we have crews that go in and actually shovel out the windrow so that there's full access at the street corner let's say uh, without having to go up and over or through the windrow so what this does is we we're cutting in half the uh, time it would take to okay. get to those. So that's a, that's a key thing in, in opening up the, walk, the crosswalks uh, at both intersections and at uh, other specified speci- speci- crosswalks. Such as, what what um, does it do to cost and burden to the taxpayer? It's uh, In this case, it's not a huge addition. We don't expect that there's any kind of a tax increase required. It's just a couple hundred thousand dollars that will let us hire some extra people and uh, some extra equipment and get people out there working on the streets uh, in in greater numbers. So that first, their first priority is we have to shovel out city buildings for fire access and life safety, mm-hmm. et cetera. Secondly, we have the stairways. As you know, we're a hilly city, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stairways that they're very important to have safe and cleaned up so as possible. They're one and two. Three will be now, and always has been, the crosswalks. But with more people working, we'll get to the crosswalks. In, in twice as fast as we have been doing up until now. So we're really happy that we can take that step and, and move forward with it. And not, a, not an exorbitant cost either. All right. We'll leave it there, and let's hope uh, the snow doesn't fall for a while. Appreciate the call, That's Sandy. Right, Thank you. Anyway, nice talking to you, Tim. Take care. Bye. Okay. Uh, it was uh, Sandy Hickman, St. John's Council, uh, City Councilor at Large, and the lead on Public Works. Now, Sean, line two, you want to talk about moose vehicle collisions, and there's been at least one we know of this morning. How are you today? Good morning, my friend. First of all, I hope your mom is doing well. I don't know if you know the mom and your father. Sorry, my mother and father and your mom are very good friends. Oh, yes. yes. She's, uh, you know what? Every time I get an expletive thrown at me first thing in the morning from her, I know she's well, Sean. So they're still coming fast and furious. That's all that matters. Um, Indeed. Two things. Number one, my first thought on moose accidents is that they happen 24-7, and we found that today. Mm-hmm. I live in Bellevue, and I'm back and forth on the highway just up where that accident's happened just now. And oh, I know really? it was an accident because all of a sudden down here on the main road in Bellevue, the traffic suddenly has gone from one car every half hour to, to 50 every five minutes. So 
Uh, it's sad every time I see that happening. I know there's just trouble up on the highway. But, you know, there's two things to this long holiday weekend that really bothers me. There's a lot of moose on the road because they're being driven out of the woods by moose hunters. And, uh, and not many people are watching for them in the daytime. So my suggestion is anyone who's in the car heading out, first thing you should think about besides the great holiday you're going to have and visiting family and friends, scan both left to right, everyone that's, in the car. That's good advice. That Yeah, yeah, you got to be on alert, hey? You really do. 24-7. And, and, and not even when you hit Clarenville. I'm talking about the minute that you go out the outer ring road if you're leaving from the east end of St. John's. And, and people don't think about it till all of a sudden they see a sign on the highway about 25 minutes outside of town. And it could be too late by then. Yeah. So that's one thing. Now, the issue of food, and I was listening to Turkey and such things as Josh Smeed was talking about, and, and, and it's a great topic today because it's so expensive. Uh, I went plant-based about five years ago. Oh, did you? Okay. And I have, yeah, and I've never felt better. My health has been, been great. It was pretty good before that, but nothing like like. Even with now. your proteins? Do you find you're getting enough proteins? I get everything I need and more. Uh, okay. Anybody who who, who, <laughs> who, who kind of like talks to me about food or or looks at me and says, God, you know, like like you don't age. And I say, well, I am aging. We all, we're all aging. So what's your secret? And I say, well, no, I don't go to a spa every week, but I make food my medicine. Okay, yeah. yeah. That is the secret. And, you know, and I'm listening to Dr. S- or Sister Mary Liz Davis and, and Dr. Palfrey and, and everyone else, and God bless every one of them that are involved in the healthcare uh, changes that will be going on in our province. But, you know, the, the least amount of time that we spell, spend in the healthcare system because of our own abilities to keep ourselves healthy, the better our lives are. Our lives oh, yeah, should revolve sure. around, you know, can we get to the hospital if something happens on Friday? Our lives should be be revolving around how good I feel, so I want to go do this with my grandchildren or this with my children. Mm-hmm. And my children have strength, and, and they're not lethargic. And this is what plant-based does, you know? And we're having a potluck uh, tomorrow, tomorrow evening, uh, some friends. And, There's uh, a lot of good food in, in, in uh, plant-based. Um, I still mm-hmm. like a bit of meat protein, probably more than a bit. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I've made some significant dietary changes. I, I can attest mm-hmm. uh, to, to what you're saying. I mean, my advice, and I, you may or not agree with this, is if you're going to make a change to your diet, make sure you consult with a nutritionist and you understand what your food sensitivities are oh, yeah. and your 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 particular genetic mm-hmm. and ethnic profile, because as you know, that impacts the way you process food. It really does. But, you know, the, the, the fallacy is, and I just heard one of your callers uh, talk about a block of butter or a block of margarine. <laughs> I heard that too, and I thought about it, my heart exploding. <laughs> <laughs> Look, my heart hurts thinking about that going through my heart or, or through, uh, through my valves. Um, you know, one of the worst things we can put on our body is margarine. And yeah. and and yeah, and most oils. Uh, it's much better to use your pot roux. When anybody from Newfoundland like yourself knows what roux is, mm. you know it's a pot uh, liquor. You know that you have in yep. your vegetable pot. Save that, put it in your fridge, and use that on your frying pan when you're going to go cook some meals. And stop using oil. The oils are, are toxic. And and the other thing is, you know, a lot, a lot of friends of mine 
who have come into the plant-based side of things because they've heard me talk about it. Uh, within just a few days, you know, a lot of their inflammation and severe yeah, it goes away, it goes away, yeah, it goes away just in a few days. And heartburn, and there's a whole section in your supermarket. Sorry, your drug drug part of your circ- uh, 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 sorry the supermarket. There's a whole section in there with everything from Pepto Bismols and and everything else you can think of. And unfortunately, people don't realize that they won't need any of that within a day or two of them moving to a more a more uh, plant based uh, diet. And, and turmeric's and, uh, good to bring down inflation too. Or inflation, oh my God! Well, inflammation. I don't know what'll do for inflation. <laughs> All right, Sean. Is this the year I'm talking to? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, I Thanks be to goodness there's only half an hour left. And by the way, you got my grandfather flipping over in his grave because he used to run the so-called Newfoundland Butter Company. So your war on margarine is, is noted. I'll tell my mother. You might you might not get any choc- plant-based chocolate chips from her. Anyway, Sean, got to go. Good to talk to you. Great Thank talking you. to you. Everyone be safe. Be, uh, be, uh, be aware and scan. Everyone in the car, scan constantly from the time the car leaves your driveway. All right. You have a good Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, thank you. Care, my friend. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Now. Good to talk to you. All right. We're going to go to the news. And when we come back, Colin, we're going to talk about Russia and Mr. Putin. Who knows what that fellow is up to today? And I don't mean Colin. Back with Colin after the news. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to Open Line. Well, I always enjoy talking to Colin because we have some good chats about the state of the world, particularly in Europe. Uh, And it's not great over there now. Colin, what's Mr. Putin doing today? I'm afraid to check. I mean, last week he was conscripting 300,000 of his citizens. And the hottest video in Russia was how to break your arm. He was musing about nuclear weapons. Where, Where are we? What's going on? Yeah, we're not talking about any woke stuff. <laughs> no, I didn't use not. the other word. Thank you, Michelle Rempel-Gurner. Yeah, well, we, that word's already been used on the program today by uh, by uh, by Bruno, so I don't want to cut you off, Colin, if you use that word. No, no. no. Um, Mr. Putin's neighborhood is looking very, very chaotic, and we uh, we have an exceptionally grave situation developing in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, the Russians have moved a, a nuclear train, apparently from uh, from Russia towards Ukraine. It's one of their uh, divisions in their nuclear uh, uh, divisions Forces. in their military. Yeah. And uh, uh, the president of the United States, in a speech last night in New York, said, uh, "Paraphrase him. We're." Uh, reaching a nuclear Armageddon. And we're at the most serious uh, point in this conflict. It's comparable to the uh, to the crisis in 1962 with uh, President Kennedy and Nikita Kruger. Bay of Pigs, yeah. Yeah. Now, just, just let's add some more context for people who may not know, because Lord knows there's so much else going on, though this arguably is, should be the most important thing in the world, given the dimensions of where it could go. So Ukraine has applied uh, for fast track in NATO. Canada supports this. I believe there are eight or nine neighboring European NATO nations who support this. America has said uh, Ukraine needs to go through the process. 
Uh, explain to people Article 5 and why, if Ukraine were to become a member of NATO, the dynamic would change significantly. Well, if Ukraine became uh, a member of full-fledged member of NATO, then any attack uh, by Russia or continued attack uh, by Russia on, Na- on uh, Ukraine would constitute a, a, a de facto attack on NATO uh, due to Article 5, which is uh, any attack on a member state is an attack on all. Uh, this uh, article was invoked uh, in September of 2001 after mm-hmm. the United States was attacked, and that was the first time it was invoked. So uh, NATO, uh, all the NATO uh, countries were automatically brought into the Afghanistan conflict because of the attack on the United States. Um, one of the concerns that I have is uh, – you know, Putin, um, the, the whole doctrine of mutually assured destruction, assured destruction, which was coined after the uh, in the advent of, of the nuclear age in the 1950s after the Second World War, was that all the principals who had nuclear weapons were presumed to be rational. Yeah, that's right. There were rules. The there were rules. But but what happens if you have one of one of those principles or more who is not rational, who is a psychopath? Because mm-hmm. psychopaths, they don't really gauge risk very well. They have very poor or no impulse control, and they don't really care what they do to other people. You know, they have an end game, and the only way that they get stopped is when somebody stops them. It's like serial killers. They go up and down an interstate highway killing killing people. The only way they get stopped is when the police apprehend them or they die of natural causes or in an accident or something like that. But they'll keep going as long as they're healthy, right? Yeah, well, and let's step back there for a second because it's a key point you make. So I think you and I are around the same age. In in the 80s when we were all kids at school and Reagan came in and the the wall came down and and mutually assured destruction became less of a common phrase, uh, we kind of – we had – Anxiety, but to your point, we knew there was a system that was protecting us, that there were some people on each side who who would hold back the ultimate forces of destruction. And, of course, then you had, what was it, the old red phone, right? In the White House and in the Kremlin, they were able to talk to each other in, I don't know if that thing even exists anymore, but there was a whole system of checks and balances, and none of that exists now to the same degree. So I've asked you this before. Are you seeing anything that shows you that de-escalation is possible despite what Biden said last night? No, I don't see anything. I mean, you know, and I'm not privy to. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, I, I get my news just like you do, uh, but I don't see anything uh, that's going to to bring this matter to a to a uh, to a peaceful resolution. I don't see any off ramps for Putin. I, I see him being back further into a corner because Ukraine now is getting the upper hand, especially in the east and the south of, of the country, in the Donbass and on the Black Sea yeah. coast. Yeah, the and, Ukraine is winning a lot of, in a lot of key areas. And that's actually bad, yep. I think, paradoxically speaking, because if they do win, Putin's into a corner. So he's looking at uh, the people around him. He's a cabal of uh, fellow psychopaths. Are they going to put a bullet in his head? So uh, he has to win, you know, because if he loses, he, he could end up losing his own life. So this is the way he looks at it. And then, you know, you have to look at just outside of Russia's borders uh, at India and China. Are they going to sit on their hands and just watch this play out? 
What is the uh, Sino psychopath yeah. going to do, Mr. G? Yeah. What's he going to do? And is China just going to sit there? You're talking about two countries with about 40% of the world's population, right? Well, and, and also instability uh, and the focus on Europe, uh, Russia in particular from the NATO alliance is to China's benefit, as we all know, right? So it's very, very, very frightening, frightening times. Um, just before I let you go, what do you think of the Canadian position to support Ukraine's admission to NATO? Is it the right decision? No, I don't think. Uh, why? I'll tell you why. I don't think at this moment uh, admitting uh, Ukraine into NATO is going to change the dynamic of this situation. You know, obviously, if, if, if Putin continues on with the aggression and uh, Ukraine became a member of NATO, then that's an attack on, on a NATO country or NATO uh, territory. I think that would just further aggravate the situation. Okay. I, I do. Uh, I, I think this is going to play out, unfortunately, that Putin is going to do something. I think he's going to use a tactical nuke, a 15 to 20 kiloton uh, tactical nuclear warhead. By the way, one of those warheads, you know, they, they get uh, tossed around in uh, in academic circles as well. This is a tactical nuke. It's not a strategic yeah, it's nuke. Not, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not going to obliterate of, Nagasaki and Hiroshima or something, yes. Yeah, one of one of those uh, 15 to 20 kiloton blasts destroyed uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, mm -hmm. which at the time was the size of Metropolitan St. John's. Yeah, it's uh, they're, they're not insignificant. They're not uh, stones in a slingshot. Uh, absolutely. All right, got to leave it there, Colin. Thank you. Always good to you bring this focus back to what is uh, making the world a very unstable place. Thanks for the call, and on a pleas more pleasant note, enjoy your Thanksgiving. You too, sir. Thank you. Take care. Okay, I have three calls in the queue. I'm going to go to break, and I will say to Tony... Uh, Bob and Daryl so I can get y'all on let's be short and tight when we come back I'll start with you Daryl and we'll go to Bob and then Tony right after the break here on VOCM's Open Line alright welcome back to Open Line we as I say are going to try and get three calls in I will stop talking to let the first one on Daryl you want to talk about energy costs go ahead yeah well uh, thanks Tim it's nice to have a chat with you again you're doing a great job as per usual thank you my friend uh, no, not a problem, Tim. Well, I want to talk about uh, the rate of inflation and the Bank of Canada keeps up and up in the interest rates to try to mm -hmm. curtail inflation and get it down to 2%. And and Macklin in Halifax, the governor, said we're likely in line for another increase the next time it happens. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and probably more to come uh, on top of that because I watched his interview yep. on Globe uh, not too long ago. But the thing is, how is inflation going to come down when the cost of energy Energy is going up and up like past few days here in Newfoundland, Labrador. I think gas has gone up, what, 15 cents a liter within the last two days? So if energy keeps going up because OPEC got they're cutting back, what, 2 million barrels a day. So if the cost of gas keeps going up and up and he keep, and the bank Canada keeps putting interest rates up, try to curtail the inflation, it's not going to come down because unless the cost of energy comes down, the rate of inflation is not going to come down. So we're, 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 we're over a barrel. Unless you start walking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, there's, there's your climate change mitigation. Then you stop walking, which, is, which isn't practical for a lot of people at this juncture. Yeah. So what's going to happen? To, to, to we're, we're, headed, we're on a, a collision course. So, I mean, the more the hard interest rates, you're putting people on hard times. But, yeah, if energy cost goes up, inflation is not going to go.
go down. So now, to be fair, I think it's important, Daryl. Just just so we know, you you obviously know. There's a lot of economic theory, monetary policy history that suggests what Governor Macklin is doing is the right course of action, that if you uh, increase interest rates, you will drive down spending, and that will, again, help put things in order. But if you need essential goods, you still have to buy, and you will still spend, so it it creates, as you are alluding to, a, a difficult set of circumstances. What else would you like to add? Exactly, no, Tim, and uh, and uh, no, and that's and that's true enough. So, like I said, we're heading on, we're heading, we're on a, a collision course here, and something uh, uh, something's got to give, and, and a lot of people are going to be on hardship times, and and I'll just allude to the public utilities board, like like they're they're our regulator here. Unfortunately, I don't agree with it, but what amazes me, the free market. The price of fuel go down faster in the free market versus the public utilities board. They're delayed about a week later. So mm-hmm. I think the public utilities board, I think we're better off with the free market because, uh, I, you know, get Dan Mateg, you do an interview with him. I mean, he's fantastic. Yeah, I know Dan, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, the free market, uh, how come the prices go down faster in the free market versus we're, we're regulated by the public utilities board? Something, uh, yeah, something yeah. wrong with this picture, too. Well, and the, the whole argument, though, with the public utilities board is they still keep, keep costs affordable and they're to prevent price gouging and the like. But, again, good point. Got to leave it there, Daryl, so I can get the others in. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, not a problem, Tim. Again, thank you for your time and all the best and happy Thanksgiving. You too, my friend. Okay, we're going to go to Tony Wakeham now, and then, Bob, you're after Tony. Tony, I'd ask you try and get her done two and three minutes, if you don't mind, please. So, Tony, welcome. How are you? There, Tony? Hello, I'm here. Okay, there you go. All right, go (laughs) go ahead. You want to respond to my conversation with the Premier earlier and the discussion we had about whether he would, to use his corrected language, move away from the sugar-sweetened beverage tax or not. Go ahead. Okay. I think we all recognize, first off, the inputs that uh, too much sugar can have in our physical health. We all know the statistics here in our province about heart disease and obesity. Part of what the Premier did in the past was commission a health accord, and that health accord talked about a 10-year plan to improve health outcomes in our province. In that health accord, there is not one paragraph, not one sentence, not one word that suggests the imposition of a sugar tax will help accomplish that. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I would like to say is that at the end of the day, if the Premier is really interested in helping the people in Newfoundland, he would find ways to have a positive reinforcement, not a negative reinforcement. There are lots of ways that we can communicate with people, educate people on how to have better lifestyles, but simply imposing a tax is not the way to do it. The people of our province don't need the premier to tell them what to do. What they need is a premier to help them do it. And turning around and imposing another tax on the people of Newfoundland, such as the sugar tax, is not the way to do it. Uh, is there a public a- appetite for forcing change here? I mean, th- th- there have been some public commentaries made before about how this is a mess, not just from you. I don't. I mean, outside the partisan realm, are you are you getting a sense that the public are prepared to push back on the premier on this one? Absolutely. I uh, raised it in the uh, House of Assembly yesterday because it's not just an 
uh, people who live in opposition districts yep. that are saying no to the sugar tax. It is people that live in the districts of liberal members of the House of Assembly who are also saying this. People of the province are tired of taxation, and they do not see this as a necessary tax. Everybody wants to live better lifestyles. Everybody wants to have healthier eating habits. But it's the education piece. It's a positive reinforcement of that, mm-hmm. not a negative reinforcement by simply adding a tax. It's a lazy way to do it. The premier mentioned the uh, groups that this tax would go to. We all support that. But if you truly believe that these groups are important, surely in a budget of $9 billion, you can find a way to make sure they are funded without simply turning around and taxing and adding another tax to the people. And most times, people who can least afford it. Okay. Got to leave it there because we want to get in the other call. Thanks, Tony. Have a good Thanksgiving. You too, Tim. Bye. Bye. That was Tony Wakeham, the opposition finance critic. All right, Bob, you're the last man standing. you got about two and a half minutes. Fire away. Okay. I'd like to make the point that a small amount of, of, the, vir- of the virus uh, in the vaccine, convex or plague, Now, it seems like a little oil right now could do a lot of good. You know, inflation Mm -hmm. uh, got the implications for the war. And and it's one of the things you got to balance out. It seems like all our enemies got oil and they're blackmailing us with us. Iran, if we made a nuclear deal, would release their oil. And Saudi Arabia is suckering Biden. And uh, the U.K. is uh, lifting the ban on fracking. Mm-hmm. So it seems like Canada got oil, but they won't relent. You know, and, and Europe is in a desperate situation, and uh, Russia is after damaging the pipelines. So it seems like a little oil now, just like the virus, to bring down inflation. <laughs> And there's Newfoundland's oil, and our gas was at $10 a gallon when the Americans were getting upset over $5 a gallon. So it seems like all around in this balancing balancing act that's going on now that a little of our oil, maybe the offshore oil and the loud sea could come into it, that we could... uh, capitalize on, on uh, that's out you know outside the 200 miles yeah yeah i i the, it's 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 a good metaphor. Uh, I, I think it's one that uh, is more, as you rightly know, contemporary. Given what we're dealing with and we're dealing with in terms of the pandemic, I think I just pick up on one last point, and then I have to let you go. I mean, uh, if Russia continues to destabilize the world to the degree that it is, Canadian oil um, uh, will be more appealing, and we're going to have tough decisions to make uh, as to whether or not we want to put it on the market or uh, to the degree that it it could be. And we're at max production right. Right now but we can potentially lift production we'll see anyway i do have to leave it there bob thank you very much for your call you have a nice thanksgiving yeah, okay that satisfies me thanks sir hey, you're uh, welcome Jim. take care
All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, great show today uh, because of you and all these calls and lots of uh, topical matters. Thank you to everybody who called. Thank you, as always, to uh, Dave Williams. In between, you know, we were talking about football. We were talking about plant-based diets and everything. Dave is a rock star, as always. He delivers this program with great uh, great efficiency and, and expertise, um, and I always appreciate that. I always appreciate being with you. Patty, we'll be back after Thanksgiving. Enjoy the break. Enjoy the time with the family, treasure it, and make it valuable. For now, I'm Tim Powers. This is VOCM's Open Line.